script thing left. <laughs> Kurt? <laughs> you know where it went? I must have deleted. Oh, 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 there we go. Thank you. Right, cool. Scared me for a minute. It's not there. There it is. Good afternoon. I have a few housekeeping meeting. Um, Things to take care of before we start today's meeting uh, of presentations for the transient guest tax grant program. Um, I want to welcome all the board members here today uh, that are here, and then we'll have some folks on Zoom as well. And I will be admitting them here as well as Kurt behind the scenes. Um, I want to thank Kurt, first of all, the, the man behind the curtain in the Wizard of Oz, as I like to say, the Grand Oz over there that helps with this meeting. Uh, but the Transient Guest uh, Tax Advisory Board, I want to thank all the members for coming today and the work that you're doing for your community in helping to um, provide that unmistakable identity that we've talked about and discussed in part of the strategic plan for the City of Lawrence um, and we really appreciate the time and efforts that you're putting into this. Um, the process from here after the presentations, we have three-minute presentations that we'll, we'll have the applicants. We have 30 applicants, three-minute presentations from each today. That'll be fast and furious. Um, I think Porter, when I was talking to him, he says it's almost like speed dating. So I guess that's what you can consider it today. Um, and then you will then score individually and then you have uh, on the agenda, we had listed the, the actual schedule that kind of showed when everything was going to be coming due. And alt, what was it, alt? Uh, tab. Tab, thank you, okay. Um, and I went right back to the same. I love to have those things set on my computer so that they're not, yeah, there we go. Um, I think I had it on the agenda, and I'm not on the agenda. You know, this is this is fun, isn't it, folks? When you have things and you're new to this, and you're in a not at your own desk, and you're kind of just flying by the seat of your pants, and that's what I'm doing on live Zoom TV or YouTube TV. Anyway, um, the schedule is on the bottom of the agenda. If you need that, the at five o'clock on Tuesday the sixth, if you can get all your scores back to me. What then I'll put them all into the Excel spreadsheet and get those for the meeting that we have on Friday the 9th, uh, where you make your recommendations as the board that will go to the city commission for the December 20th um, uh, city commission meeting on that Tuesday. So that's kind of the schedule that we have going forward. Uh, I want to open it up for questions. I know we're kind of behind time already and we don't want to cut too much into the time we can. Uh, I know I've cut some of the time from that first break with the moving of one of the, the individual presentations, but wanted to see if anybody had any questions or opening comments that you wanted to make from the board. Okay, we will then open up uh, the first presentation uh, for the Lawrence Busker Festival. 
Hello, everybody. My name is Richard Renner. I'm the producer of the Lawrence Busker Festival. I've got a handout here that I want. If you would just pick, take one and pass it around, <laughs> save me some time and trouble. And I'm sure we all realize that uh, images and pictures can say a lot more than any words I can speak. So I'd like to start off with a wonderful little video that we have. Roger, you're going to have to help me find it. I don't see it. This is my assistant, Roger. <laughs> okay, we're going to share the screen share from here it? first. Okay. Share screen, and that'll pop up. We'll go here. Share. All right. Here, and then you're ready That's to go, Roger. This is a video we had made through a grant with the Kansas Tourism. I'm sure you recognize that I had a uh, starring role in that. Um, no autographs, please. <laughs> so, are you ready to have some fun? We are. We're planning for our 16th year of the Lawrence Busker Festival. 16 years. We're still in puberty. So that means we got some growing to do. And uh, last year, the funding we got from the TGT grant and the Kansas Tourism grant allowed us to spend over $15,000 in marketing that reached out to the big markets in our area, Wichita, Denver, Omaha, Kansas City, and St. Louis. And it paid off. Explorer Lawrence's Datafy uh, system estimated that we had over 50,000 people attend our event over the four days in May. And the Kansas Tourism Department that calculated that this resulted in over $300,000 in tax revenue collected. Not a bad investment for the money that you gave us. This year we're growing again. In the past, we always had several disconnected areas. Now we're going to be unifying the whole thing into one single festival area. We're closing off the 800 block of Massachusetts Street and um, and also connecting it with the closed off 8th Street to create a T. There's a map on the back of that handout I gave you that'll show you what we're doing there. And this will give our patrons, our performers, and our vendors more room to relax, more room to move from stage to stage without interrupting traffic, and um, just have more fun. And also in 2023, we're going to be bringing in more international performers. I've uh, applied for visas to bring people in from the foreign lands of Germany, England, Australia, and Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> try to get a visa from Brooklyn. 
Yeah, we're also starting our Buskers and BGC program where we will be presenting free programs at all the Boys and Girls Clubs locations in the weeks prior to our event. We want to get the word out that the Busker Festival is a free festival for these kids to attend. The only cost may be for parking, if that. So the TGT money that we receive always goes to our marketing efforts, and it's also helped us leverage other grants uh, from the Kansas Tourism Bureau and from the Kansas Creative Arts and In Industries Commission as well. It's gone to a great effect and helped make our, um, our festival bigger and better every year, and I look forward to working with you again to keep Lawrence vibrant and going. Thank you very much. <laughs> Next up is Lawrence Pride. I'm going to. You got it. I think so. Okay. Then, can everybody see that? You want to full screen that from the file? Let's see. Or from view, I guess. There you go. Okay, wonderful. Thank you. Spacebar here. I have to pull up my script on my phone. Just a second. Okay. Hello. My name is Fali Afani, and I'm the organizer behind Lawrence Pride and have been since 2017. I'm here today to stress the utter importance of what this event has become to the community. Every year, this event gets bigger and bigger, and now we've outgrown venues. So what we have planned for 2023, and I'm going to get to that in a little bit, is taking more funding and resources than we've ever had. And let me stress that the main reason this event has been able to exist is because of the strong and generous support from the City of Lawrence and the transient guest tax. Queer culture has grown so much in Lawrence that we have now formed Lawrence Pride. And this is, at the moment, a 10-person committee, and we are on our way to hopefully, fingers crossed, becoming a nonprofit sometime next year. The goal is not just to set up celebrations for Pride Month, but also resources throughout the year and eventually work with every aspect of the queer community. And this is a very important trend I wanted to stress that we've noticed growing every year with our Lawrence Pride events. As we've grown, this uh, became a main attraction for visitors and families. We started maintaining a family-friendly atmosphere and called upon organizations and resources to show up at these events to support trans youth. I cannot stress enough how important this is in Lawrence as a community, so consider this. The number one killer of trans youth is suicide in America, with nearly half of trans youth having attempted suicide. So events like this could potentially save lives if they know where the resources are. Lawrence is home to an extremely active and vibrant drag scene that often gains statewide attention. In addition to weekly drag shows that have been held for nearly a decade, we now have Pride Nights popping up. You may any time in the week a weekly Pride Dance Night, Drag Bingo, Drag Queen Storytime, and more. These events don't just serve the Lawrence community, they've also known to attract visitors and performers from as far as Western Kansas, Missouri, and Nebraska, and beyond. I'm told there's something special with the, that Lawrence does with drag shows thanks to the hard work of our local drag leaders, and that is that we put trans performers in the spotlight as well as book drag kings. Lawrence has always been ahead of this trend in this way, and it's one of the reasons we attract so many visitors and attendees <clears throat> here. Lawrence is also full of drag royalty. Year after year, we've seen drag queens and kings snatch those crowns, and this results in more community engagement. Interacting with those title holders has become essential to promoting not only understanding and standing in our community, but engaging with them on the ground level with events like Pride. 
And this is something I like to bring up every year. I brought this up last year. But Lawrence also boasts more press for our drag scene than most communities. I might be a little biased, but it seems that every time I pick up a publication promoting our city or county, there's a drag presence promoting the culture of our community. Also, I just a few minutes before I came here, got to look at the new Explore Lawrence guide. And guess what? There's drag queens. <laughs> And here's the info you've all been waiting for. 2023 Pride is going to be bigger than ever. Our committee is already planning a street party and a street parade. We've outgrown the venues, and we understand that we will be pulling in more visitors than ever in the next year. We have a lot of excitement planned, but we absolutely cannot accomplish this without support from the city. And on a personal note, I will say that as someone who immigrated to the United States under very anti-immigration uh, sentiment, it was the drag community that really helped me feel welcome. Thank you. When is it scheduled for next year, Valley? On the first weekend of June, and the reason for this is global warming and everything gets hot. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So we're trying, the very moment this happens, and it's the first Saturday and Friday in June. In June. And maybe even a Sunday. Ellie, can I ask, uh, you say that you generate a thousand room nights. Can you say a little bit more about that? I was going off of previous numbers before, but I'm still, like, it's, it's changing every year, and COVID really skewed that for me. And so I'm looking to bring in new data from here, data from here on out. But um, it, I can't remember what the equation was they gave us on the form, but I was going off of that. So I know that we will have anywhere between three to 5,000 attendees per event that we do. So if we have like one day where we have one event and another day where we have a different event, I'm counting those. And we have sometimes a lot of crossover, but not much because a lot of people go to the parade, but not the party and vice versa. Thanks. And how about anything else? Thank you. Thank you, Thank you Sally. <clears throat> um, next up is Rev It Up Hot Rod Street Fest. I'm not seeing Michelle here or on Zoom at this time. So we'll move on and we'll just put that at the end of this block. Hoop City Classic. Do we have? Yes. Do I, do I have the ability to? Uh... Share green share? Yes, you should. Are you? All right, here we go. Oh, I think I got it. <clears throat> All right, can you guys see that? Yes. My name is Drew Molitoris. I'm representing Hardwood Events. Uh, we are a grassroots basketball event tournament organization, um, have done events in the past uh, in Lawrence and um, uh, would be interested in moving them back to Lawrence. Uh, we have three uh, summer events. They're all in July. Uh, the purpose of these events is really twofold. Uh, they range in age um, as young as 9U, which is third grade through uh, seniors in high school. And the events uh, are in twofold in purpose. One, uh, like the Hoop City Classic, the first weekend of July is an NCAA evaluation period where college coaches are allowed to come out um, and watch prospective prospects. Um, it's where a lot of kids earn scholarship opportunities. Um, so super important for the high school age um, students. And then for the younger 
for the younger kids and families, uh, it it presents you know a, a community. This is something that they uh, you know kids that they grow up with li live around um, the camaraderie. Um, you know, going out traveling. Um, I, I I think sometimes at the younger level, the the parents may enjoy it more than the kids. But uh, uh, these are the dates: uh, July sixth through the ninth. The Hoop City Classic was established this past July. We had one hundred thirty eight teams representing fifteen different states in the Bahamas. Uh, Sixty six percent of the participating teams required housing. Um, with the some of the younger teams uh participated seventh through ninth so you can see in the room estimates and this is based on last night our last year's um sample size which we would anticipate in years past uh the event growing uh but 91 teams an average team uh has eight rooms uh, and that includes not only uh coaches players but um you know parents grandparents siblings um, for two and a half nights, that event last year uh, was around 1,800 rooms. The Hardwood Classic is our biggest event. Uh, we have two sessions, uh, the first being July 14th through the 16th. This was established back in 2015. Last year, we had 255 teams uh, for session one, representing 14 different states um this was uh not an ncaa certified uh weekend those dates changed and are dictated by the ncaa um last year we had 139 teams a little over half of them that required uh housing and you can see it uh two nights the friday typically friday saturday estimated a little over 2200 rooms and then the last weekend uh is our biggest uh, this is kind of the culmination of the summer season. This again was established back in 2015. Last year, we had 317 teams, uh, 18 different states and Canada, uh, almost two thirds, right at two thirds of those uh, required housing. And you can see that last year brought in an estimated uh, a little over 3,300 uh, rooms. So this is something, uh, you know, we've worked with Taylor over at the uh, um, Rock Chalk Park before, um, and it's something that that setup is just so unique uh, that, you know, in terms of with the restaurants and everything around it and everybody being able to uh, be in one facility uh, is a game changer on our end. So we would we would certainly appreciate consideration. Drew, on your presentation, I noticed there was a line that was somewhat cut off on the bottom, and I didn't know, was that an estimated attendance, the last line on some of your slides? Go back. Uh, those were room nights. Let me see if I can. As we see the two nights, it's the below that that's not being shown. I just wanted to make sure that there was information that the committee would like to see that you're not able to know that it was not being shown to them. Okay, here, let me, one sec here. Yeah, it's cutting off right below two nights. So whatever that says below it, they can't read that. So if you wanna just read what that says. Okay, and those, those were 
this is the anticipated um, or based on the number of teams that required housing. They're the room nights and for the Hoop City Classic the first weekend uh, last year, it was over 1800 rooms. Um, set week two was uh, over 2200 rooms and then hardwood uh, the third weekend was a little over 3,300 rooms. I think that's maybe some information that would be really helpful for you, for the folks. Um, I'll open it up for questions if anybody has any. Drew? Yes. Can you, hi. Do you have any other funding opportunities that come through for the Hardwood Classics? Uh, yes. So in addition to... Um, uh, we we broadcast the games, uh, so there's there's revenue through uh, live stream opportunities. Uh, we have we have just started um, to work with a uh, sponsorship group to um, that help with uh, uh, some stuff on that end. Um, but really, the I mean the main sources of revenue are the uh, entry fees from the teams. And then the uh, revenue from the gate, um, people attending, spectators. Great, thank you. Drew, could you tell us a little bit about why Lawrence, why you hosted here? Um, you've talked about Rock Chalk Park, but are there other considerations uh, for you being here? Uh, yes, I mean, it's, it is in terms of, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, the history of the game itself. Um, and Lawrence, uh, basketball is something that resonates with, with that community in particular. Um, and it's, you know, it, 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 the events that we have done in the past there have, people have had just a, a very good experience in terms of, um, you know, everything being, uh, in close proximity in terms of, you know, hotels, restaurants, uh, gyms, you know, a lot of these events are in, uh, you know, made major, you know, Atlanta type cities where there's no real feel to the event. Whereas uh, in Lawrence, you know, you'll see, you'll, you'll walk downtown and you'll see teams, um, you know, coming out of Chipotle, walking down Mass Street, um, you know, going over, taking pictures outside the field house, uh, it gives the event um, kind of a, a more intimate environment than the majority of these uh, events tend to have based on, you know, where, where they're held. Thank you. Drew, do you advertise that as part of your media package? Uh, yes. So we, in terms of uh, when teams... Uh, on the website and when teams um, express interest in, in the promotional material, we put uh, in terms of, you know, list of obviously all the uh, conveniently located hotels, restaurants, uh, things to do, um, you know, non, non-athletic as well. Um, just in terms of, uh, you know, a lot of them too will come in early. Um, you know, they, they may not play till Friday, but they may, um, you know, come in on Thursday. So, uh, absolutely. And there's, if there, there's, I mean, obviously, um, if there's certain events, uh, or, um, 
you know, places that, you know, we, that's easy to add in terms of pushing traffic certain areas. Do you emphasize the historical significance of Moritz in terms of the basketball history? Absolutely. Um, it's something to be honest with you. I, I think, uh, you know, especially this generation, it's, you know, that, I mean, the, 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 the rules of the game that they are playing uh, <laughs> are, are in your, you know, in your location. So in terms of uh, just having a appreciation of, you know, everybody that came before you and, um, you know, in terms of obviously there's a gold standard uh, in Lawrence in terms of basketball and how it's supposed to be played and, you know, tying that into, you know, what these young kids uh, are doing and, and ultimately want to do is a huge piece of it. Thank you. And I will note that that takes the, the next three presentations. He kind of put it into one. And thank you, Drew, for separating those out. Um, our recommendation was that we want to look at each individual event separately. And for him, I know that I asked him to do that. And I appreciate that he did that. Uh, look at each one of those as a separate event. So any other questions? Roger, I can email you that presentation too, if, if uh, um, just so you can see the. I want everybody to see those numbers. Sure. Go ahead if you would. That'd be great. Thank you, Drew. Okay, um, we we're gonna go. I see that Michelle Prosser is on, and I know the next one was eleven or one thirty-five, so we can sneak this one in here rather than later, as I mentioned. Um, so. Michelle, if you're, I noticed I let you in just a few minutes ago. You want to go ahead and uh, unmute and fall off. Maybe she fell off. Is Michelle with the Revit Up Hot Rod? Yes. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Yes. And I saw that I let her in, but apparently something didn't get connected. So must be having some technical difficulties. Yeah. Okay. We'll move on because I know that Marlo is here from the Free State Festival and we'll just keep on churning it down. Hi everyone, my name is Marlo Angel. I'm the director of the Free State Festival. Looking for my screen share. Oh, here we go. Okay, great. Free State Festival is a week-long event. It celebrates film, music, art, and ideas in Lawrence, Kansas. We've been going on for 12 years now. We're a staple of the cultural scene. People tend to plan their summer vacations around our dates um, and schedule trips that coincide with our week-long events. Especially now with climate change, people are looking for something indoor to do during the summertime. We experimented with uh, spring last year, and we got a lot of requests to go back to summer because it gave adults some fun entertainment programming to do in Lawrence. Our um, mission and one of our keys to our success is to program celebrity guests. So we get people to come here from multiple states. Uh, John Waters is featured here. We had visitors from five different states that came. They not only come to see him, but they get a hotel room, they shop at 
local places and they eat at restaurants and then they stay to see a film featuring Kevin Wilmot right afterwards. So it's a wonderful way to get people exposed to our local talent on a national level. We try to do fun things like pair our films with music and culinary things so we can feature our local restaurants. And this year we're gonna feature some dance. So it's gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, we are a creative, a creative economy driver throughout the year, not just the week long of Free State Fest. We also do programming um, at our micro cinema at the Lawrence Art Center. Uh, we have been formed, or we are very uh, influential in getting the Sundance Satellite Screen Program to come to Lawrence. Um, we have the Free State Film Society, which is a group and network here in Lawrence that sees movies every month together. So it really helps and provides a wonderful way to uh, embrace film throughout the year. We also highlight undertold stories and diverse viewpoints. That's very important to us. Looking ahead to 2023, we have Black Bok, a who is a hip hop pianist coming. We have a silent film, Body and Soul by Oscar Michaud with a live original soundtrack by DJ Spooky. We're gonna do a documentary screening and reunion show by a post-punk band called The Embarrassment. We're working with the Watkins Museum of History to do Taste of the 70s. And one fun thing, it's an image here at the end, it's a mobile truck. We wanna take film on the road during the Free State Festival this year and do an experimental film showcase where we drive to different locations, perhaps the Lead Center parking lot or fun places like that, where we'll give people an experience of the entire city of Lawrence, not just downtown. So we're trying, we take, we up our game every single year and we try to keep our audiences together for that entire week. So we're not just flying in for one day of the festival, uh, but they're really making a week long experience in Lawrence, Kansas. Marla, can you tell us a little bit about an estimate for overnight stays? Um, with our, we do, we work with Explore Lawrence and we do codes on our website. And so they go to our website and they go to visit. And we had 30 overnight stays last year uh, that were from those codes. There's also outside people that just go to visit their families and they'll go and stay with family or friends or Airbnb, Airbnbs. And we don't always track those or they may be not our partnering hotels and people that are outside that range and we don't have access to those numbers. Okay. We had about attendance of 3000, you know, the last few years recovering from the pandemic. So that's sort of where, where we are. And so usually about 10% will be outside hotel stays. Great, thank you. You're welcome. No other questions? Do you have any funding? coming from other places as well? We have a grant out from the NEA, so we're hoping to find out about that in the springtime. Um, a lot of our revenue, we're a nonprofit, so it comes from ticket sales and pass sales. We have individual ticket sales, and then we have all access of pass sales, which we've sold out for the last couple of years, and those allow everyone to go to every single thing in the festival. We try to make our uh, events accessible to the community, so we keep the ticket prices low, and we also do some freebies. We're trying to get different communities and diversity to come out to different things. And so we embrace that as well. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Marlon. We're gonna switch back to Michelle Proster and the Revenant. Up. Michelle? Yes. There we go. Hi. Hi. <laughs> hey, we're here now. Oh, man. Sorry. Sorry. How are you? We're having technical difficulties. This is like my 20th time to get on the meeting, so. <laughs> if you, if you uh, give us an old hot rod, we can deal with that, but not this new technology stuff. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm Steve Cronister. This is Michelle. We put on the uh, Rev It Up Hot Rod Street Fest. And this next year will be our 15th year. We'll be down at, at South Park downtown. 
And it's basically, if you're not familiar with it, it's a festival featuring live music, food, drink, and merch vendors, kid and family activities surrounded by hundreds of custom cars. <clears throat> Every year we work with DLI and Explore Lawrence to figure out all the ways we can to bring in more spectators. We, we have lots and lots of cars and car guys these days, but we really want to bring in spectators from the surrounding areas or even surrounding states. This past year, we had over 440 cars and over 2,000 spectators, and many of them came in from Iowa for the KUK or the KU Iowa State football game. And we were able to track that 295 of the cars out of the 440 were from outside of Lawrence. So we have a good draw from the region. <clears throat> this year, our, our show is, is a fundraiser. And, and our recipient for the last several years has been the Ballard Center. And this year we raised about $21,000 for the Ballard Center. Um, this past year, our TGT grant was for $3,000. And we used well over that to do all our marketing for the area around Lawrence and in Iowa to bring in outside people. And our goal is just to continue to grow and support the Ballard Center families and Lawrence tourism and commerce. And the TGT grant money will sure help make that possible. Do you have any questions for us? Can you all hear us? Yes, yeah, yeah. Any questions? Yeah. What was the date that you're doing it for next year? This coming year is gonna be September 30th. Thank you. And just because I'm not seeing this on my sheet, I might not got an updated one. Was it still 3000 that you're uh, asking for? Uh, five, I think was I'm our request for this year. Cause yeah, we used well over the three this past year. Okay, thank you. And now, once we get the game schedule, that will help us decide how we're going to market for next year if there if we have a game a home game. Any other questions? All right. Thank you. Thank you all so much. All right, moving on, the KU FNSA Powwow and Indigenous Culture Festival. Put them on mute here. Yeah, I'll say, but I just looked up and like this goes on. Uh, let's see. Okay. We, uh, we have the longest title, and we don't have any pictures because I didn't know we could do that this year. We'll do it next year for sure. That's all right. All communication. How <laughs> talk to you. Be a picture watch today. My name is Milton Bighorn. I'm a grad student at KU studying sport management. I also do cheerleading over there. Uh, top of those things, I'm uh, the Lone Bear H. Robardo intern for the Kansas City Chiefs. So I'm kind of all over the place right now. Um, so we're here to talk about the significance of our Powell that we have at KU. Um, not only is it a 
opportunity for everyone in the local community to uh, see the rich culture of our tradition and heritage. It's uh, open for the students as well. And, you know, coming from a student perspective, uh, I got my undergrad degree here too last year. So I've been around for a few years, you know, it's just um, a very important aspect of um, our culture and it represents who we are as people. And you can learn stuff, you know, through the fest festivals and festivities that we have with the Powell, you know, anyone, everyone could go there. Oh, I clicked you guys. I hope to see you guys there too. <laughs> um, you know, it's there to learn. You don't have to be native to go to a powwow. You know, it's open to everyone. That That's the, the glory of it. You know, it's sacred to us. Um, and we just have fun time with it. Uh, helps us learn, uh, educate what we don't learn in the public education, education system. Um, and with that, I'll let my, uh, my uh, relative here, Anthea, talked about a little bit uh, logistics and uh, details. Hey, y'all. Um, I'm Anthea Scufus. I'm the engagement director at the Lead Center of Kansas. We are one of the partners with the Fenso Powwow and also the Indigenous Cultures Festival. It's a group of folks primarily from KU, some from Haskell, and some from the community that get together and plan this each year. Um, and um, we're going to talk to you a little bit about what we have uh, planned for this upcoming year. Um, the festival, this upcoming festival will be our seventh annual uh, we had to cancel the 2020, as we all know, everything was canceled in 2020. And in 21, we did uh, more of a virtual uh, powwow. Last year, we were able to have everyone back again, um, and it felt so good to, to be able to, to convene once again. Um, the festival has multiple educational and um, events and activities. All of these are free. Every event and activity we have is free for the festival. And it usually lasts uh, three to four weeks, the festival, and it leads up to the First Nation Student Association powwow. And this year it will take place on April 8th, 2023. Um, some of the activities will be that will be included, um, we will have an exhibit at Cider Gallery, which we've been doing the last couple of years, tied to the Indigenous Arts Initiative, which is another kind of hook-on event. Um, visiting Indigenous artists as part of the Indigenous Arts Initiative, as I noted, um, lectures, workshops, um, hopefully a, a film a partnership with um, the uh, Lawrence Arts Center. Marla and I were just talking about that earlier today. Um, and this, this new this year, uh, we're excited about it. It's part of the health and wellness uh, aspect. We're going to have a 5K run the morning of the powwow. Um, on campus, and the monies that are raised from the run will go to support our uh, Native students at KU in times of crisis or need. Um, each year also, in addition to this, each year the Lead Center presents a contemporary Indigenous artist the Friday night before the powwow, um, and this year it will be um, Martha Redbone, who is Indigenous and African-American uh, musician and theater maker with her piece called Bone Hill. Uh, Martha will also be um, taking part in the festival on the next uh, on, on Saturday as part of one of the panelists. And we have some additional plans for her time here at KU. Um, the powwow day includes cultural singing and dancing in the in in the main area. Um, I should uh, add that we we originally, when Fensa came to us and said, "Could we use the Lead Center as a as a to host the the powwow?" Because that's been a challenge in the in the past. We said, "Absolutely, we'd love to," but we always knew that it's not the best place to have the powwow indoors, and that we've been trying to transition outdoors. Last year, we were able to move into the parking lot, which was quite a challenge, but it worked. Ultimately. And it was a good thing because we had well over 5,000 people there. It was kind of wonderfully crazy. But the great news is that the university 
um, has, has heard the request and is helping. In fact, right now they're in the process of building or creating uh, a powwow grounds, which will be now the official kind of KU powwow grounds, which is just west of the lead center parking lot. So we're really excited about that. Um, it continues to grow each year um, and is really important because it, it also provides and supports um, information and FENSA as an organization uh, to our community and to all the folks that come in to take part in the um, to take part in all the events. Um, you know, we, 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 we really, uh, each year we've been really fortunate to get this grant and it's really helped us with our marketing and also with hotels. Um, we've had traditionally had to scrape together money to make this happen because there's just a lot of people who are really committed to this. The university has stepped up and is supporting it in a, in a, in a much larger fashion. We really appreciate that. Um, but things like marketing, uh, you know, this really helps with that. We don't have, you know, associated money, um, for that. Um, it also helps um, with covering some of the um, cost of that, bringing the head staff in for the powwow and uh, the drums. Um, that helps us uh, um, as well. So we very much support, or we very much appreciate the support of the TGT each year. Um, uh, what else should we say? The, the numbers have increased each year for this event. As I said last year, we had well over 5,000 people. Um, there are folks that come from, we've had actually one family I think came from Alaska, um, but we've had folks from Arizona and Wyoming and Montana to come in to participate in the powwow, but also vendors from all over the country come in. Um, and then the community at large comes out as well. So a number of hotel rooms, we have, a, this is sometimes challenge to track them exactly, but um, you know, well over 40 or 50 uh, hotel rooms um, each night so of the, of the powwow. And then there are the uh, additional activities and having other artists in at various times that of course we get hotels for as well. Any questions? I do. Um, will KU's powwow grounds be ready for this coming year? It it will. That's the plan. They they awesome. it's it, it's the beginning. They've mowed the area. They need to I think increase that area a little more because we want to provide some seating as well. And then it'll need to be rolled, you know. And it'll take years to really get it. I think to a place where it's good, good. But it's. You know, I think it will take place on those grounds awesome. this upcoming year, which is really cool. And I think our dream is that that we find a grant that will allow us to build an arbor um, over the entire thing, which nice. would be just amazing. Uh, where's the location? It's just um, just west. You know the field just west of the lead center, right yes. in front of the dole? Yes. That's where it is. And it's Very actually nice. a beautiful setting because there's a lot of the sort of tall grass prairie uh, yeah. that they've kind of grow there. So it's sort of surrounded by those grasses. It's really beautiful. Mm. That's wonderful. It's a really cool thing. Yeah. We're Thank excited. you. Yeah. Other questions? And Tita, I, I yeah. work with some groups at KU for runs. Yeah. So I know the veterans group does oh. have one on, on uh, Veterans Day around that, and I can give you their contact. I actually ran that run, oh. and uh, okay. I, I work with April. We have, okay. a, we have a special yeah. project. I we're figured doing as them. much, but I wanted to let you know that and you don't need to reinvent the wheel. They've been doing we, that if you want I know. the same route. I did. Step. I stole her. I, I, she okay. sent me information. Okay. and um, But yeah. I'm the one that will be you, you'll be contacting for the city oh, streets. So really? Just want to give Thank you that you. heads up. Okay, cool. Great. Appreciate that. Awesome. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to Milton, busy student, to come come do this work today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, next up, we'll hear from the Juneteenth celebration. I see Janine is here.
Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Good. My name is Janine Coulter. I'm a Laurentian here. I am the president of the Lawrence, Kansas Juneteenth organization. Um, last year, we had our in-person. We hadn't had an in-person since 2018. It was at Holcomb the last time that we hosted. There was over 700 people there. We quickly learned that we outgrew that space, and so we moved it to downtown South Park. Who doesn't want to be downtown for the historical Massachusetts Street? Anyway, we had over 1,500 attendees. Um, I would have to say that the highlight of the Juneteenth organization for 2022 was I really felt like we built a community. We had so many organizations join with us. It was an informational piece. Uh, our youth, we always focus on the youth. Um, our essays, we've had um, John Lewis with uh, Good Trouble and on voters' rights. And um, we had a free state um, senior who's now at NYU. She designed our t-shirts for us last year. Um, we like the music. Uh, we have the vendors there. Um, we had a parade. It was a small parade, but it was a great start. Um, as far as the hotels and stuff, we did have some people that came into town and stayed. Uh, our organization is new as far as being an organization. So we're learning the marketing and everything else. Um, and, you know, we're very grateful to like Roger and Derek and explore Lawrence that we were able to go and, and get some information from um, so we could grow and how our, our event would be um, noticed. Um, I'd have to say this year is going to be just as exciting. Um, we have the park at Massachusetts Street again this year. Uh, we plan on bringing the music, the creativity of the activities for our youth and for families and, and people that want to be, you know, join us is going to be amazing. Um, one of our families that we're going to do our oral history on will be the Shepherd family. Um, kind of piggybacking, we're trying to figure out how we're going to um, bring in some resources on, I'm so excited, Roger, that you guys are doing a rededication at Woody Park because that was one of our our historical themes was to work on Woody's Park this year as well with the history that we know. Mainly what it is is that Kansas is considered a free state and a lot of people traveled here to get to Kansas. And I'm talking about slaves. And so we want to gather the family stories and share them and archive them here in our community. I see this as being a tourist attraction eventually because there's so much history here. Um, and so that's my big dream. <laughs> and um, I, I'm, I'm not gonna stop until we get it done. We started as a small group in 2003. We had um, the University of Kansas on board with us, the Boys and Girls Club, who still continue to be a great supporter of, of ours. Um, we had Haskell that joined with us and some of the stories we've had have just been amazing that we've been able to archive the Buffalo Soldiers, the Tuskegee Airmen, the Black Concerned Parents, uh, the first Blackhead basketball coach, the promoters. I mean, there's just been a plethora of information and there's still so much more to share. So that's why I'm here today because we do need your help. We are 
seeking partners. There are three that are interested that have actually reached out to us. We do fundraise um, and we do have activities to help support um, our essay winners, our um, awarded for their essays. Uh, we're looking into a scholarship this year under Cynthia Jane Turner. I don't know if a lot of you know her and her history here in Lawrence, Kansas, but she was definitely a pioneer and a giant in helping Black and African Americans here in the city of Lawrence. So that's where I'm at. Um, if there's any questions, please ask um, but I'm very excited about this, and um, I think that is very much needed here in our community. Do you know of the 1,500 approximately that you had for this year? Mm -hmm. How many of those may have stayed over um, in your hotel room night? Okay, so once we learned that when we had people, that, and for them to say, a lot of the hotels were not familiar with that program. Okay. Um, so the ones that we were able, unfortunately, is a small number, and it was four. And that was the hotel, um, the Holiday Inn Express out there in front of the uh, movie theater. theater. Mm -hmm. And then I believe there's a Best Western that's over there by Rock Chalk Park. We were able to get feedback because we were telling people that. So I know there was more in numbers. We just, you know, and we tell them, you know, let them know why you're here. Well, and it looks like you started with 700 and then doubled it to 50. Yes. Yes. So I can only imagine as it gains notoriety, it's going to be more. Yes, absolutely. That's what we're hoping for. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Any other questions? Thank you, Jean. All righty. Thank you. You guys have a great day. Next up is the Lawrence Restaurant Week. And I believe Cody is online here. Yes. Hi. Hi, Cody. I'm going to share my screen. I've got a nice little presentation that's pretty short for you. <laughs> See if I can do it. <laughs> No, it doesn't want to let me. Sorry about that. This always gets me every time. Well, I had some great graphics, but I'm going to go ahead and just jump into um, everyone's favorite event, Lawrence Restaurant Week. Um, we are celebrating our ninth year this year, which is really exciting. We are... Um, constantly seeing the growth of this event and it just continues to become more and more popular um, with our you know neighboring cities but also within our region um, last year we fully took over the event from downtown lawrence inc as lawrence restaurant association um, we worked in partnership with them in the past and as we've become a more established um organization we've been able to take it on and what that means is we've expanded it um, throughout the entire city this will be our third year expanding it to the entirety of lawrence um, we are so excited to present this 10-day event for locally owned and operated lawrence and drinking uh drinking and dining establishments um, we it's a great opportunity for us to invite guests for special menu features or formats showcasing the best of what each establishment um, has to offer. It is open to any locally owned um, and operated uh, dining establishment throughout Lawrence, and there is no cost for restaurants to participate. 
It's an opportunity to highlight the eclectic and expansive dining scenes across Lawrence. Um, we definitely attract local diners and visitors from surrounding areas. Um, one of the most unique features of Lawrence Restaurant Week, as opposed to Kansas City Restaurant Week or other lar larger cities, is that any restaurant or dining drinking establishment can participate in a way that works for them. So Burger Stand, which is one of my restaurants, is a walk-up um, counter service restaurant. We participate. You can also have merchants which is a wonderful sit-down, um, prefix, coursed-out menu. Um, there's lots of opportunities for diners and establishments to really showcase the best of what they do. Um, we also have a feature where um, we promote awareness for the Lawrence Restaurant Association's Hospitality Workers Relief Fund, which during the pandemic was launched and we were able to provide funds over $200,000 to um, several hundred individuals um, that work in the hospitality industry within our um, county. And this uh, Restaurant Week is a way that we showcase that and encourage diners to donate and participate. And this year, a percentage of pro, uh, proceeds from everyone's menu will contribute to that fund. Um, so what do we look forward to in our ninth year? We are continuing our successful partnership with Explore Lawrence. Um, and through that, we're able to entice visitors from around the region to spend time in Lawrence. We are promoting our hospitality workers relief fund and generating donations from diners and participating establishments. We've also refreshed our branding for the ninth year to just reinvigorate this popular and highly anticipated event. Um, I have a lot of stats on how much traffic we get online and and that generates um, people and interest coming into Lawrence. Um, but we, through our partnership with Explore Lawrence, we're getting um, accurate data on how many bed stays that is translating to. I am not as familiar with the language, but I do know that um, we had 160 unique visitors to Lawrence, um, and we were able to gather that information from Explore Lawrence's um, data collection, and that translated into an average of 1.5 hotel nights each. So we are seeing that through this 10-day event, we are bringing people in from Kansas City, from Topeka, but even further, um, Nebraska, Oklahoma, um, other cities in Missouri. So we know that this um, translates into thousands of collective diners and drinkers in Lawrence restaurants that generate bed stays, that generate sales tax dollars and um, liquor tax dollars into our wonderful city. And that's it. <laughs> if you have any questions, I'm happy to answer. Cody, what what's the timing on that? What a, what's the event date? Sure, that was that's important information. Um, it is January nineteenth through the 29th this year. We picked that date. Um, it, we we moved it from the fall into um, that January time slot. Last year it was February due to COVID, um, but January works really well because it's a traditionally slow time for all of Lawrence, and we've gotten great feedback from um, folks that. Uh, participate in Restaurant Week as as establishments, but also visitors. That it it really generates some good revenue for all of Lawrence during a, a traditionally slow time. Great, thank you. You're welcome. Other questions? Thank you, Cody. Thank you so much. It looks like the next applicant, uh, Lindy Linda Honeyman, is on with. Uh, the Lawrence or Theodore Lawrence holiday show tradition. Hi, everybody. Yes, my name is Linda Honeyman, and I'm the development director at Theodore Lawrence. 
um, this year. Uh, of course, I don't know if anybody had time to read the newspaper this morning, but the LJ World gave us wonderful coverage on the front page. So obviously, uh, the holiday show at Theodore Lawrence is an event that people are excited about. And I think a lot of families are have built it into their tradition that they plan a lot of their family get-togethers actually around the weekends that we have our holiday show. And it doesn't matter what the show is, uh, whether it's Cinderella or that that's what the show is this year. But um, we're always grateful for the city uh, assisting us in the past and hopefully can continue to in the future. In addition to that, we usually have six to eight community sponsors that uh, add an additional 10 to 15,000 to, uh, you know, our coffers to use for the shows. I mean, uh, this year, actually, we pared down our budget for our holiday show because coming off of COVID, of course, everybody's more conscientious about, you know, uh, trimming your budget. So we actually trimmed it down about 80000 It still cost about $100,000 to actually produce the holiday show. So any assistance we can find is greatly appreciated. We feel like we really do go after uh, trying to create a pull factor, not just for Theater Lawrence, but for the whole city of Lawrence to represent um, the lead center, the Lawrence Art Center. We keep the schedules at the front desk. So pe when people inquire about our tickets, we can tell them what else is going on in town, whether it's the... Uh, you know, the horse parade going on downtown or what the Watkins is doing, what the Phoenix Gallery has for an exhibit. And quite often we exchange posters and put each other e events on an easel in the store so we can kind of cross promote each other. Um, we do negotiated theater rates at, at the Hilton True, which is real close to us, and the Best Western. Um, which both of them are going through transition time right now. And so we don't have direct links until they get all of their uh, things transitioned. But uh, you can call either one of the hotels and ask for the theater rate and you'll get a greatly reduced rate. We did kind of analyze who stayed at the hotels last year, or at least somewhat. The people that actually stayed in the hotels um, actually numbered about 42 we know that they came from Arkansas, California, Colorado, Florida, Iowa, Illinois, 30 for Missouri, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Texas, 12 unknown, and the state of Washington. And um, then in addition to 3,800 people from uh, Douglas County. Uh, let's see what else breakdown. Um, does anybody have any other questions about the breakdown of, of our pull factor? They do not. Nope. Or any questions about the grant application? Uh, you know, we really do try to pay attention to what we're drawing in. And the hardest part is to uh, probably do the hotel information because if they don't book through the direct link, we cannot track it. If they stay at other hotels, which, you know, they may have an IHG membership or a Marriott membership. And of course, everybody loves using their points, but we do have. Uh, information on discounted rates for people coming to town. Any questions? Nope. All right, thank you, Linda.
Okay, thank you so much. Next up is the Kansas Half Marathon and 5K, and Elizabeth Teaver is here to discuss it. Hi, thank you so much, and uh, thank you for being so flexible with my schedule today. Um, the Kansas Half Marathon has been really proud to be in this community for over a decade, uh, and is a really well-established event. It benefits Heartland Community Health Center, which makes sure that people in this community have access to affordable health care. Uh, last year, over 19,000 area residents uh, accessed Heartland services in some sort of capacity, um, and thanks to the revenue produced by the Kansas Half Marathon, we were able to offset costs for the 75% of our patients who live 200% below the federal poverty level. Um, and with that access, they are able to have both primary care, pediatric care, mental health, dental, and our pharmacy program. So the impact of the Kansas Half Marathon goes a really significant way. Um, the Kansas Half Marathon um, has had really uh, successful years and is bouncing back really well from the pandemic. Uh, like many organizations who had fundraisers, there was a hiatus. Uh, and we see uh, at our lowest, our first year back from the pandemic, 700 runners to the highest 1,200 runners. Um, and running is a really great um, sport or great pastime that has seen an incredible growth over the past decade. Um, running had a 57% growth in the past decade. And in America, over 50 million people participated in a running activity. Uh, so we know that it is exploding um, the running community and we're seeing that engagement and excitement around the Kansas Half Marathon. Um, and that's one of the interesting things is many people have a goal to run from every state. Um, and it's to have the designated Kansas Half uh, makes Kansas Half Marathon the run of choice when people are trying to uh, accomplish the Kansas state as their um, run. Uh, and last year, uh, this year, this past November, uh, we had people representing 30 states who ran in the race this year. Um, and we have an estimated, um, based off of both what people say, they stay on hotel races from our post-race survey, um, as well as zip codes of the ticket and registration purchasing, uh, we estimate we see 250 to 400 hotel stays. Most people come, it's a race on a Sunday morning, and most people come um, that Friday for race packet pickup and stay the weekend and run. Uh, so one runner or a family of runners could yield um, upwards to three nights stays. Uh, so we're really seeing a significant amount of hotel stays um, for the event with the large number of people who are coming well over an hour away for the event. Um, and one of the things that I really love about the event is that we're giving such a great show to people for, who are outside of this community because the run goes through all the wonderful parts uh, that Lawrence has to offer. You start off South Park, you run downtown, you see the historic homes in Old West Lawrence, you see the beautiful call going down the levee trail, then you go and wind through East Lawrence, the Burroughs Creek Trail, trail, you get to see Haskell, uh, the Baker wetlands, and then back downtown. So a really great showpiece to say, look at this incredible beauty our community has. Um, and like I said before, 
we have anywhere from at our lowest 700 to 1200 runners a year. Um, and this, uh, the funds that we requested is really going to help us offset the cost of um, police and barricades to make sure that all the runners and everyone in the community stays safe. Um, and we can make sure that it's really efficient and um, low uh, burden for this community to have uh, runners through it. So any questions? I have two. Yeah. Um, when is the date on this? It's always the first Sunday in November. In November. Great. Yeah. So it's when the Labor Day or when the uh, Daylight Savings Night okay. changes that first Sunday. And then the other question I have is, how did you come up with that amount of money? It's so specifically. Oh, it's exact. It's the exact offset costs of both police and the barricades. Wow. Um, Really, we wanted to make sure that um, we thought that that was an appropriate ask for um, the transient guest tax to be offset by the cost that we spend to the city to make sure that um, uh, we're making sure that we have appropriate police safety um, and making sure that the barricades and cones and the, and the traffic is uh, well managed for the race. And do you get any other funding, um, any other grants or anything like that? Uh, we get support through sponsorships as well as um, uh, revenue from ticket sales. Great. Thank you. Other questions? Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, I see on my sheet we get a little break here. Um, not a very long one, but uh, we'll, res we'll resume in five minutes. Thank you. Why is he up there? I need to unmute myself. Okay. Okay, we're going to continue on with our second set of interviewees or applicants uh, presentations for the 2023 Transient Guest Gift Tax Grants Program. That's a mouthful. The TGT. We'll just say that. Everybody may know what that is or may not know. That's why I always say it. Uh, and again, we're at the advisory board meeting that's hearing the presentations. And next up is the Heart of America Volleyball Tournaments. And Bertel. Yep. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm uh, Bertel Wamlink. I'm the uh, director for Heart of America Volleyball. We are the governing body for club volleyball in Kansas and Missouri. And we are a pretty heavy user of the sports pavilion in Lawrence, a very happy, heavy user. Um, we are scheduled for 15 weekends for the uh, between January and April in uh, 2023. If I had submitted everything as separate events, you would have been listening to me here for two hours and I would take half your calendar. So I'll just present it as one. It's a combination of single day events, uh, two day events where we um, are spread out over multiple facilities in the Kansas City area and here, uh, so it's very hard to separate anyway. Um, but in those weekends, we bring typically 70, 80 teams on a Saturday here and um, 50, 60 teams on a Sunday. Over the season, I took the numbers from last year when we were here for 14 weekends. We um, brought in almost 1,400 teams and a very small number of that is local, about only 85 teams were local. Um, so the majority of these teams come and driving in from all over, including surrounding states, um, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Iowa, Nebraska. Um, I made a very careful estimate about 
how many hotel room nights we sell that's easily 2500 is very low ball number there's a there's a factor that for me is very hard to uh, actually account for is like Kansas City teams we know that some of those parents will decide to you know spend the night in Lawrence when they have an eight o'clock match but we don't know that for a fact but we know a team from Wichita are coming here yes they're going to be staying here and they're going to pick up 10 hotel room nights um, so we're probably easily over uh, over 3,000 there but I put I put a 2500 number for sure in there um, we bring for those events about 30,000 people to town uh, some of those will be repeat customers, so they you know, might be in multiple events, multiple weekends, but the, the total number is somewhere around there. If you start thinking about eating in restaurants, uh, shopping, getting gas, whatever, I mean, the economic impact on the city of Lawrence that we bring is very significant. It's a couple million, I'm uh, pretty sure, if you really calculate it to the teeth. So uh, that's just my whole spiel that I have. We just bring very large business to Lawrence. I think there's only some KU events probably that in a total that total more than, than what we bring. So um, love it here. We love the facility. Taylor is fantastic to work with um, and, and we plan to stay here, but um, I think the impact is significant. So that's all I wanna say about it and hope you guys will make some decisions based on that. Thank you. Thank you. Questions, somebody? Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Absolutely. Okay. Thanks. Thank you. Next up is the Douglas County Special Olympics. Okay, hold on. Let's see. There we go. Jackie? I believe I'm unmuted now. Can you yes, all hear yes. me? Yes, yes. Okay. Um, so I'm Jackie Folks, and I'm the new program director for Douglas County Special Olympics. I'm also serving on the uh, advisory team for the Polar Plunge, which is coming to Lawrence in February and um, assisting with some changes on the state level. It was very hard for me to fill out this grant application because we roll every month throughout the year, bringing new sports and new events uh, that are ever changing. So it was hard for me to pick one thing, but we do keep all of our practices in Lawrence, which has us renting Lawrence uh, Parks and Recs facilities all 12 months of the year. Uh, this past year, we brought the uh, State Special Olympics Flag Football Jubilee to Lawrence, and we plan on bringing it back to Lawrence next year because it was so successful. And we are also looking at bringing the Cornhole and Bocce tournaments to Lawrence in October of 2023. Uh, we do winter games, summer games, and uh, fall indoor classic, which require overnight stays. It's just hard for me to predict how many people will be there. Like I said, everything with Special Olympics is such a rolling, what are we gonna deal with in 24 hours <laughs> type thing, but we are working hard to bring more um, from the whole state into Lawrence. And we as a team obviously are not gonna be leaving Lawrence anytime soon. We operated at about $27,000 this year. Um, and that was running at 60% sports, but we were only able to fundraise and bring in five. So we really ran on a 5,000. So we really ran on a deficit this year. Um, 
So we're just kind of looking to dig out of that as we go back to 100% sports. And I'll entertain any questions you have for me. And what is the date for the Olympics for 2023? We do, well, we do it all year. Uh, we, winter games are in January, summer games okay. are in June, fall outdoor classic is in October, and then we have sports monthly in between all the games. So this 2,500 that you're looking for is for the entire year's events then? then? I, yeah, just some help. Okay, <laughs> yeah. sure, sure, <laughs> yeah. Any other questions? Seeing none, thank you, Jackie. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, next up is Andrew Krupke. The Prep Girls Hoops Wheat State Slam. Okay, we will skip then um, to the Midwest Pre-National Volleyball Invitational. Mike. Good afternoon, board. Thanks for, uh, thanks for the opportunity here. Uh, my name is Mike Stoll. I represent the Midwest uh, Pre-National Volleyball Classic uh, that was started 16 years ago with a uh, Mark Evans as a kind of a grassroots uh, Pre-National Volleyball Tournament under the guise of USA Volleyball. Uh, we hosted our first 11 years in Topeka, and we just, uh, over the last few years, have moved this into Rock Chalk uh, Sports Pavilion um, over the last four years, besides the COVID year. And I think what we're really looking forward is we'd really like to establish a long-term relationship um, with the city. And so we're not looking to where we're going each year. <laughs> we could have a home for this in years to come. Um, we drew over 100 teams last year from eight different states. Uh, in Lawrence, we did just under a thousand hotel nights. Um, we did almost 2,000 altogether. Uh, we had people staying in Kansas City, Kansas. We had people staying in Overland Park and Lenexa and Topeka. Um, we, a lot of that reason why that number is not bigger is there was just no more availability. So one of the things we've done to remedy that is we're working with a housing company uh, to mandate that all the teams and the majority of our teams that come in are from out of town, so they require hotel stays. Uh, we're mandating that teams that do come into town have to book through an approved hotel. So this is one thing we think will help with hoteliers here, uh, that there's guaranteed reservations. Uh, again, we have a really strong group of people that have been coming to this tournament from these states from um, from a lot of different clubs that are 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 consistent and um, in, in what they want to do, but we think that can help drive additional nights. Um, you know, unfortunately this year we were running it in another location in Kansas City just due to our growth, but what we'd like to propose, you know, in future years after this is uh, potentially running this on multiple weekends here in Lawrence so that we can accommodate all those events here in one city without having to work with different partners and everybody else to set this up on different weekends. So, um, you know, we have a great working relationship with Explore Lawrence, with the city, with Taylor. And, uh, you know, we, uh, I'm, I'm a dad that has kids that play volleyball. I have a full-time job. My uh, friend, Mark, you know, this is something that's been a, a labor of love for us. And um, we'd certainly like to continue this here and, um, and keep this event in Lawrence as, as much as we can. But uh, thank you for the time. Feel free to, Ask any questions. What are your dates? Yeah, they are the second weekend of June. 
so they're a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, we had about 5,000 people that came in last year. Uh, we had 25 of the top 50 Division One coaches, head coaches, come in running a camp, so that drew an additional 500 players, campers plus attendance. We've talked about extending that out to um, make this a longer event. Um, unfortunately, there's a gentleman in this town that is uh, wildly successful with the basketball program um, on campus, and so he has a lot of dates in there that uh, we do a good job trying to work around, but uh, those are things we've talked about uh, potentially extending dates to get those additional dates, the Thursday, Monday piggyback ones. So, yes. So this year will be a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, with the potential of a Thursday afternoon session as soon as uh, Mr. Self's camps wind down uh, that Thursday morning. Any other questions? And you said there's a like a another location that you do in Kansas City too as well. Is that like on the same date? It's on a different date, so it's a prior weekend this year. Um, the way that uh, the national event they have, they've kind of broken off age groups. Uh, so we have a potential to run multiple dates in the future. Um, you know, the time we got news of this, it was the gyms and the facilities with the city were already kind of booked up. But we, we see a lot of potential. And again, for myself and my colleague, um, you know, we love being here. And I can tell you, people that are from Kansas City, they stay here. <laughs> have, do you have extra hotels? So we, you know, we just, we'd like to find a home permanently. So we're not going through this each year. We can establish this as uh, for the foreseeable future. So, all right. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. And I'm trying to do several things at once here. Um, Want to go back to Andrew Krupke? If he is here, does not see Okay, so we will move on to the next event, and that's Joe Joe's on the Belgian Waffle Ride. Yep. Can you guys hear me? We can hear you. All right, I'm going to share my screen real quick. All right, I'm with the Belgian Waffle Ride. Um, this would be our, uh, in 2023, would be our third year returning. Um, I'll give a brief breakdown of this year's event and how we and how um, this year's event went. Um, so if you don't know about the Belgian Waffle Ride, it's a three-day um, cycling and music uh, event that we do in October, um, partnering with Sunflower and uh, the Steve Tolford Foundation, both local organizations and this uh, Kansas event is the final stop of a, a seven race series in 2023 um, that covers um, events in uh, five different states. And uh, we have a new race in Canada this year as well. So um, in 2022, we had the event dates were October 14th and 16th. On Friday night, we held a um, evening concert and fundraiser um, dinner for an auction for the Steve Silver Foundation. And we had roughly 500 uh, attendees that evening. Um, and we raised well over $10,000 on Friday evening for the Steve Tilford Foundation. Um, Saturday, we had an outdoor expo with vendors from both cycling industry and local vendors. 
um, and another uh, evening concert um, that was open to the public, and we had approximately 500 attendees that evening as well. Um, on Sunday, we had 552 riders um, coming from a combined 52 states and countries. Um, we have a really vast poll from a uh, all, all all areas of the country. It's pretty it's pretty amazing to see how how well people travel to Lawrence and um, want to come experience the gravel roads and the, the Lawrence um, community here. Um, Sunday was um, part of that uh, with the out-of-town visitors. We um, we estimated, um, well, not estimate, we have around 300 of those. Um, our riders were from out of state, that's confirmed. And we estimate most of those riders staying at least one night. Um, so we estimated roughly uh, 500 roommates were generated just from the riders themselves um, for this event. Um, a part of the rider package when they when they sign up, every rider that finishes receives a $20 uh, downtown Lawrence gift card um, so that they can go spend that downtown after they finish either on dinner um, or uh, any other retail establishment that accepts the downtown Lawrence gift cards. We're doing that um, to help give back to the downtown businesses that um, sacrifice for our event to take place downtown and a, a good gesture to be able to um, give back to the Lawrence community merchants that um, support all of the events downtown. So uh, in 2022, um, we used 100% of our grant funds that we received um, prior uh, for paid video ads on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. Um, as well as a print ad um, that ran in the months of uh, June and July, which are the biggest months in the, in the cycling world, at least um, for print ads in Peloton Magazine. And the Belgium Alpha Ride Instagram following has now reached almost 30,000 followers and 12,000 Facebook followers. And all of that was shared across all of our industry partner uh, platforms um, and Sunflower and, um, Explore Lawrence, all local, um, were very key in sharing um, all of our marketing assets there. Um, in 2023, we are currently working on the date um, with Explore Lawrence and KU Athletics um, as we're in October date and uh, playing that juggling act with KU uh, football and homecoming, we're really trying to work as best we can to make sure we don't overlap so that we have the greatest impact for the city um, and we don't run out of hotel rooms and and make, um, make it frustrating for everyone. So uh, we're still actively working to secure the date for October of 2023. Um, we're looking to switch up things a little bit as far as how we how we stage the weekend. We still would have a Friday um, expo and concert fundraiser Friday evening, um, but looking to switch uh, the ride um, to Saturday with adding a possible 5K in the morning alongside with the riders starting. Um, and then a big evening celebration and concert where all the runners and writers, everyone can stick around and celebrate. Um, and that would be an open to the public free concert as well, uh, just like it was this year. Um, and then uh, taking the slot of Sunday, we want, want to really focus and bring the focus back to the community here in Lawrence. Um, it's something that we've been uh, 
really looking to do and this year we want to make a big big push to do so and with partnering with the steve tilfer foundation one of their big goals is to um take those funds that we've been able to raise via this event the last two years and give them back to the lawrence community via um, a big family fun ride and bike rodeo um, and we're actively working on trying to generate um, a bike giveaway um, where we would end up giving bikes away to the youth on that Sunday um, to support young young uh, youngsters within the community. They don't have access to uh, a proper bicycle and, and safety equipment like a helmet. So um, more to come on the Sunday activities, but the goal is to make that 100% um, focused on, on the Lawrence cycling community and really um, shine the light on all the great things we have here locally. Um, last year, we or for the 2022 event, um, we had a combined 73,000 in outside uh, sponsorship that helped us put the event together and pay for things like uh, traffic control, the concert, the fencing, everything that we need to make sure we have a safe, well-run event. Um, and this year, our goal is to is to bump that up to help pay for the extra things we wanna do, like the run to uh, $100,000 outside financial support um, and the TGT grant, um, funds would be exclusively used for marketing. Um, and just like we did this year, and our goal would be to um, continue our Facebook and um, cycling focused advertisements, but use a large portion of the um, grant funds to run more, more local and regional focused ads, like radio, uh, print ads, um, working with Explore Lawrence to really get the word out about the Sunday um, and the 5K on Saturday, the more community local focused um, things that everyone can really appreciate and get involved in our event. So um, that is, th those are our main goals for 2023. And um, I will stop rambling and take questions. <laughs> Any questions? Seeing them. Thank you, Joe. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> okay, I'll go back to the prep girls hoop sweet state slam. Andrew is still not on, so we will move on to the Kansas Ballet, the Nutcracker, Alex Olson. Hi, Alex. Hi. I'm Cindy, and this is Alex. Hey. Doing us here. Is that okay? Okay, great. great. Thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Um, I'm Cindy Hart, and this is Alex Olson with the Lawrence Art Center, and we're honored to tell you about the Nutcracker at Kansas Ballet. Lawrence tradition for more than 20 years, the Art Center's production of this beloved ballet is the pinnacle of the holiday season and brings thousands of patrons to the area each year. We want to share some quick statistics for you from the Americans for the Arts National Study of the economic impact of the nonprofit arts and culture industry that we see firsthand with the Nutcracker at Kansas Ballet. The arts drive commerce to local businesses. The arts, unlike most industries, leverage significant amounts of event-related spending by their audiences. In 2017, arts attendees spent $31.47 per person per event beyond the cost of admission on items such as meals, parking, and lodging. 
vital income for local businesses. And the arts travelers are ideal tourists. They stay longer and spend more to seek out authentic cultural experiences. One third of attendees travel from outside the county where the activity takes place and spend an average of $48 per person. And 69% say they traveled specifically to, to attend the activity. And we see all of these things with the Nutcracker. Um, the 2022 run of the Nutcracker opens one week from today. And if you don't have your tickets, you better start because there's only a handful remaining right now. And it's not just friends and family of the 119 dancers, 12 live orchestra musicians, and more than 150 volunteers and staff who fill the seats. Audience members come from all over the region to experience the magic of this production with its unique ties to the local community and its history. It is set in Lawrence in the Civil War era. The dances feature Kansas creatures, plants, and historical figures such as John Brown. And through the years, hundreds of young children have had the distinct opportunity to perform as grasshoppers in front of expertly painted murals, bringing Kansas to the stage in a way like none other. And last month, uh, the premier website for parenting, the Kansas City Mom Collective, included the Nutcracker at Kansas Ballet in a guide to Kansas City Nutcracker performances. And it brought considerable interest from new families wanting to see this unique production of the holiday classic. So we looked at ticket data just this morning, and people from 64 different zip codes and 13 different states have purchased tickets for next weekend's productions. And these ticket buyers will not come for the Nutcracker and leave, but they will also enjoy all Lawrence offers with restaurants, shopping, and first-rate hotel accommodations. So we are honored to share the Nutcracker with the entire region and sincerely appreciate your consideration of this request for funding assistance to make the project possible. So thank you, and we'd be happy to answer questions if you have any. Is it a one weekend or? Two? It is one weekend, five performances this year. So we're, we're underway, there we're planning, planning is always going for 2023, but I would anticipate definitely the same, if not more performances, but looking at it. Mm-hmm. Other questions? All right, thank, thank you. Thank you very thank much. You. We'll make the call back to the Prep Girl Hoops Wheat State Fam. Okay, I'm seeing them. We will move on to the AAMG National Conference at KU, the Spencer Museum of Art. I know we may be a little over here. Great, thank you. Hi there. Got a handout for you all. Those around. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks for doing this. Um, my name is Adina Duke. I'm with the Spencer Museum of Art at the University of Kansas. And I'm here representing the Spencer Museum as well as our partners in hosting the AAMG conference, which include KU Libraries, the Wilcox Classical Museum, as well as additional support from the KU Natural History Museum and the Dole Institute of Politics. Um, and we expect others will, will join us in this endeavor, both at KU and regionally. I'm also representing AMG as I'm the Kansas State representative to the organization. 
Um, this is a, a presentation three years in the making, I suppose, because we came to you in 2019 with a proposal that was fully funded to host the conference in June of 2020. You uh, generously awarded us the, the funds, though we never received them, everything changed, and the conference went completely virtual, and we were no longer hosting since um, we were in a new moment. Um, but undeterred, AMG has, has checked in with us periodically with the hope that they would be able to make this happen. Rather than moving on and finding you know, the next venue that was in line, they really wanted to, to come here. They came for a site visit in 2019 um, at the recommendation of two national funders of the arts, the Mellon Foundation and the Crest Foundation, um, because of the Spencer Museum's leadership and national profile and object-based teaching, learning, and research. But we really didn't want to do this alone. There are campus collections um, uh, that are um, natural history, um, historical um, library collections that are um, equally um, nationally recognized. And so we wanted to really expand the idea of this conference being um, hosted by the Art Museum to explore campus collections more broadly. This year's theme opening up, creating new field guides to trust, service, and responsibility also reflects the way that not just the Spencer Museum, but all of our, our campus collections um, are critical conduits to the community. Um, we are not behind locked laboratory doors. We are, are open to the public and um, play a critical role in civil discourse through object-based teaching. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. This is an especially, an especially exciting year for us at the Spencer because in 2020, we were just embarking on a renovation and we've now completed that renovation. So we're very excited to showcase um, the renovation and reinstallation of our collection galleries with the goal of increasing access to our collections and rebalancing our exhibitions to better reflect the communities that make up Lawrence. Um, as a national conference, attendees will be coming from all over the country. I remember last year, or I guess it was this year, in Logan, Utah, um, there were people from Maine to Idaho, Texas to Minnesota, and all points in between. Um, of course, we are centrally located, and we expect a very strong regional uh, level of participation, but it's easy for people to access us from all corners of the country. Um, Going back to the, the idea of the campus museum as a conduit to the community, I don't know if you've ever attended a conference where you get to the city and you're sort of locked in this hotel space and you realize you haven't actually experienced the place that you traveled all this way to come to. So we really want to take a decentralized approach to the conference itself and not just host it in one location. While the core activities, the breakout sessions will take place at the brand new Jayhawk Welcome Center, which is the Adams Alumni Center plus the new facility adjacent to it. Um, we will be hosting things at different sites on campus, and we're also looking at um, a potential keynote location downtown, as well as around eight affinity dinners, rather than hosting a big dinner in one location, um, inviting people to explore on their own around a particular topic that's hosted by a member. Um, Thanks to our, our colleagues with the Kansas Nutcracker Ballet, they've uh, shared a bunch of great statistics with you about the kind of spending that happens from people in the arts and culture um, sector. Um, and so we expect there to be significant economic impact um, beyond just the hotel stays, which I think number around 600 um, estimated uh, based up on 200 in-person attendees. That number is 
Different from what we were planning in 2020, we were planning at that time for around 350 because their numbers have steadily gone up every year. Um, last year, the numbers were down, as you might expect. It was the first hybrid conference. Um, this year, it's all in person. So we're, we're assuming something in the middle. Um, what we are coming to you for is a request to fund a big distinctive opening event at the Spencer Museum of Art. Um, again, so that when people arrive, they have all the tools at their disposal to explore the, the community to its fullest. So that includes catering um, and security at the museum. Uh, catering includes some custom art cookies that have been very popular that we've done at several events uh, by local baker lately. Um, hiring local artists and entertainers to perform in the galleries, including some of the artists who are now featured in our reinstalled galleries or artists whose practice relates to some of the big ideas um, or types of work that are on view. So that could include dance, music, poetry that brings those galleries to life uh, or leading art making activities as well. The second thing is marketing materials. These are, are welcome materials. Um, again, tools to, to encourage people or incentivize people to explore downtown. Um, a guide to Lawrence produced by Wonder Fair and a map of points of interest produced by a local artist. And the third thing is photography of events um, that take place throughout the conference, including pre-conference workshops and post-conference excursions. The excursions are a sort of optional add-on, the last day of the conference, the Thursday. Um, and um, so we wanna be sure we're documenting all of, all of these experiences. I'll pause there and see if anyone has any questions. Do you look for the National Conference to be something that you're going to be doing every year here in Lawrence, or does it move? Great question. It does move every year. Um, they they were um, wonderfully persistent about coming back here. So that, I think, is an encouraging sign. Um, by partnering with these other units, um, some of whom are not members of AAMG, but I expect will become members of AAMG. I think it demonstrates to, for example, the American Library Association and other, other professional organizations that those other units on campus belong to. It demonstrates that they could be a site for those conferences as well, and that they can take that on in the way that the Spencer is sort of playing a leadership role with this. Does that answer your yeah, question? Absolutely. Okay. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Did you say this was a week long? Um, it is a Monday through a Thursday, so it's expected to begin um, with pre-conference, optional pre-conference workshops Monday morning, but the core conference would begin Monday, after, like late afternoon. The opening reception would be on a Monday, and then the two full days of programming on the Tuesday and Wednesday, and then the post-conference excursions on the Thursday. So lots of weeknight hotel states. <laughs> All right. Okay. Thank, Thank you, you all much. so much for your time. Thank you. I'm going to go back to the Prep Girl Hoops Wheat State Slam. No one has signed, come online or in the room. I just want to make that known. Um, so we have given ample opportunity as we move along here. Um, next on the list is the National Christian Homeschool Basketball Championship. And I believe Zachary is on. You can unmute too, Zachary. If you want. I am. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. We can. Thank you. Oh, My internet is starting to go crazy. So yeah, if you if, if you need to just be voiced, you can do that too to save the bandwidth. So 
you might want to just talk and then uh, put that back on. Homeschool, a basketball champion. I, what what I would do is I just close your picture and just do the audio. That way, it'll save on your computer okay. side. How's that? Is that a little better? Well, here I'll go ahead and just uh, yeah. You're still showing up. That's why I was wondering if you want to just take the picture down. Okay. There you. Okay. It lost me for a second. Am I back on? Go. Okay, yeah, you're back on. Go ahead. Okay, good. Sorry about that, guys. I uh, am Zach. I'm with the National Christian Homeschool Basketball Championships, as well as the Volleyball Championships. I'll kind of just launch everything uh, at the same time here, if that's all right with you guys. Um, Uh oh, Zachary, are you there? Okay. okay, so we'll put him on hold for a minute, and it looks like we're at a Sorry, break. Guys, my my, I'm gonna. If we could give a second, I'm just gonna exit on the Zoom, and I'm gonna go to my phone, just the audio. Okay. Um, that way, it's not on the internet here. Sorry about that. I'll be right back. Okay. This is where I play the Jeopardy theme music or something, you know, while we're. <laughs> That's funny. That sounds like somebody knows it. I do. <laughs> I watch it every day. Actually. What is internet problems, Roger? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Just a second. We're ahead of schedule, so we're a little bit anyway. All right, can you guys hear me? Yes, we can. Great. Okay, I think this we're just going to have to do it this way. I'm sorry about that. My, and for some reason, it's having troubles with me having a video and audio and all that jazz. So um, I wanted to talk about our, our national um, basketball championships. We've got uh, multiple different events that we put on all throughout the country. Um, but with, specifically with Lawrence, we've got our, our uh, Kansas districts as well as our Heartland Regionals. I just kind of put together as, as one event uh, so that we can um, be considered in, in one spot there with uh, using the sports pavilion. Um, so it's uh, specifically for homeschooled athletes. We provide these postseason tournaments for, uh, and we don't form the teams or anything like that. It's the, the homeschooled athletes have, have formed their team, teams themselves, and we provide the uh, postseason tournaments for them. 
Uh, but for our districts, um, going off of what we've had registered uh, so far is about um, 20 local. Um, Can you to, that? You cut out there, Zachary. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So the, the districts, we've got about 24 teams so far. We're hoping to grow that to about 30, but only eight of which are local. So most of our events uh, are for uh, people who are not necessarily local to y'all's area. Um, and with that, we've got about uh, 250 athletes coming to that one um, specifically. And then obviously their parents and siblings and fans will come with them. About 500 people we expect to come uh, to the area for uh, the districts, which is going to be uh, February 2nd and 3rd uh, of this upcoming year. It's a Thursday, Friday, and, and our uh, regional tournament will be a Thursday, Friday as well in uh, in february uh 23rd and the 24th so we we're looking forward to spending a lot of time in lawrence um, these are one of uh, about uh, eight districts um that we run and one of four uh, heartland or regionals this is our heartland regional and we in that one we've got about 80 teams signed up uh, only 17 of which are local <clears throat> excuse me they're local so you're going to have 80% uh, of our teams are going to be traveling into Lawrence and needing some place to stay. Uh, we've kind of traveled around a little bit uh, with this region and uh, district finding, trying to find a good home. So we're really excited to be working with Taylor and the, the sports pavilion um, to, to find a, a good spot to land. And I think Lawrence is going to be that for us. Um, for volleyball, that, that side of things, we're, we're really, really excited because uh, we have grown to a point where we can't be in a single facility unless it is uh, the size of, of the sports pavilion. We'll be able to have 16 courts uh, there for the sports pavilion. Um, this past year in October, we were uh, in Kansas City. We like the centrally located. And this, this is a little different than the basketball because this is our national tournament. Um, the districts and regionals for basketball leads up to our national tournament, which is currently in Springfield, Missouri. Um, but we are open to taking some different um, bids for that event, uh, but that is not our plan right now. But for volleyball, we did. We are moving volleyball nationals to Lawrence. Uh, this past year, we had uh, 138 teams, which is uh, the record. We're the largest homeschool uh, volleyball tournament in the world. So that's really exciting. We've been growing for the past, um, what have we been, the 13 years now. This will be our 13th year. Um, and for for that, only um, 14 teams out of those are local to uh, the Topeka, Lawrence, Kansas City area. Um, so 124 teams is what we had last year that would be traveling um, to your, your area. But we expect about 3,000 people to be traveling, um, including the athletes. Uh, and for regionals, I didn't mention this, but we, we do expect about 2,000 people coming to that one, 1,500 to 2,000 people. Um, for using uh, the, the grant, we, uh, we would use it specifically for the facility. Um, that's, that's all we're asking to, is to help cover it. Have security there with uh, maybe like a local police officer or, or park ranger. Or we'll have some athletic trainers um, and uh, would love to connect with some local businesses to try to get all of these people to visit, um, the, you know, the downtown Lawrence and visit some local places. Um, I had the opportunity to actually visit 
Lawrence and the sports civilian after our volleyball nationals here in um, this past year. I was was very, very pleased at the facility. Um, we're going to be really excited to use it for all of our events here. Uh, is there any? Oh, well, one thing I did want to say is for volleyball, uh, we're really hoping that KU doesn't have a, bas a football game because uh, it will be very difficult to, to find some hotels. Um, so we're really hoping and, and striving for that one to, to not be on our dates, which are October. Um, 19th through the 21st this next year. So that's uh, that's all I've got. Any questions you guys have, I'd be happy to answer them. Open up for questions. Uh, you said the volleyball was for October 19th through the 21st. Uh, when's the basketball? Sure. Sorry, I meant to, meant to say that basketball uh, is going to be um, the second and third of February for our district and then for regionals um, which expects about 2,000 people would be uh, February 23rd and the 24th um, of February. Thank you. Yes. Other questions? Hearing none. Thank you Zachary. Thank you for the opportunity, guys. Have a great day. You too. Okay, and with that, we'll take a break. Um, I'll ask again, I don't believe that the Prep Girl Hoops Wheat State Jam is online or in the facility, so we'll ask. But uh, thank you, we'll take a little break here. start. Uh, again, this is the 2023 Transient Guest Tax Grant Program presentations from applicants <laughs> along with the Transient Guest Tax Grant Program Advisory Board. So thank you all for coming again. Um, I, I want to make a <laughs> notice too. I know that we've, I had sent out two schedules and there was a, a mix up in the schedule. Call it my pre-Thanksgiving uh, stupor that I was in working, trying to get done with this and get it out before the holiday. Um, but uh, we had duplicated the two o'clock hour and then I resent it as soon as somebody made note to it on the Friday, I think is when I sent it out. I'm not sure I'd have to look on my phone. Uh, we did get that corrected and sent back out to everybody. Um, and so we're gonna pick up someone uh, from, from the three o'clock hour that's here and ready to go uh, and that's Let's see. Is the restorative justice mm -hmm. uh, group? So, or maybe I may went past you actually, didn't I? No. It's three forty. It's three forty. Is three forty? Okay, there we go. The Thank you. Schedule. The Midwest Regional Conference group. Okay, there we go. Yes. So I'll let you introduce yourself. And thank you. I'm Nancy Kelly. I'm with Building Peace. That's a new initiative here in Lawrence, Kansas for mediation and restorative justice. I also am on staff at the Topeka Center for Peace and Justice, where we do mediations with juvenile uh, offenders and parent-adolescent mediation. And we also teach restorative practices in the high schools and any other school that will have us. Actually, for boys and we've presented for Boys and Girls Club and we've done training for the, the, the YWCA. So, any number of places that we do training with restorative practices. 
So thank you for having me here today. As a former teacher, I can say there's nothing like having a schedule that you can't stick with. <laughs> Restorative uh, Kansas is a conference that we started planning in 2019 to have in 2020, and of course we couldn't do that. Our plan had been to have a conference every other year, our regional conference, every other year following the year that the national and international conference took place. This past year, this past summer, the international conference was in Chicago, and it was so successful that now that we're re-upping our planning for the 2023 conf regional conference, we are sure that we're going to attract a lot of more attention because of the energy that was kept, that's kept going through the last conference. So our conference is called Restorative Kansas 2023, and it's going to take place June 8th and 9th. When we originally planned it, it was for one day. We were going to start it in the evening or late afternoon of the first day, Thursday, and move it into Friday so people would only spend one night in, overnight in Lawrence. It's really important that we do it in Lawrence because we, we really want to use Haskell <clears throat> Nations as our place. It has a big attraction for restorative practices. Um, because of that, we um, couldn't do the, the, because we have so many breakout rooms now and so many things to do, we're extending the time and we're really working at having the time extended to Thursday, Friday, and hoping that people will come in advance and spend Wednesday night. So that's our plan right now. Uh, restorative practices is made up of uh, individuals and communities that are interested in restoring justice and having a restorative community uh, sense of building, <clears throat> building communities. The planning committee, uh, the first conference and regional conference was presented a few years ago. Actually, anything that happened before 2020, I have no idea when it was, <laughs> except for my retirement in 2013. I remember that date. <laughs> Uh, the planning committee, the first one was in uh, North Newton at KIPCOR, and KIPCOR is the Kansas Institute for Peace and Conflict Resolution. <coughs> Cheryl R Wilson is the president of KIPCOR, and she is nationally known restorative practice practitioner and trainer. She is part of our planning committee since she's in, in Newton. They did the first one, and then we, they are a major part of our planning committee, and our planning committee is made up of KIPCOR and the Salina Initiative for Restorative Justice, Restorative Justice Authority of Crawford County, Topeka Center for Peace and Justice, the Center for Conflict Resolution in Kansas City, Missouri, and Building Peace here in Lawrence. So we have a wide variety of people who are interested in participating in the planning of our committee. The plans at this particular point are, are for, um, and we've already gotten uh, Chief Justice Robert Yassi, who is the Chief Justice of Navajo Nations, as our keynote speaker. We have several breakout sessions. They will include indigenous peoples, social and community justice, law enforcement, judicial, schools, and a youth-led session. There will also be restorative circles and circle practice during the conference. Our special attraction, we hope, is to have Rick Averill, who will be um, participating with, actually, that's our major thing. Our major draw is to see the art in Lawrence. And to we have Haskell, and we want to draw people to the 
understand the artistic talent we have. Rick Averill does um, street opera. This past summer, I saw his first street opera at the Silent One. It's a climate change street opera, and it was so impressive. It's just a 20-minute show, but it has to do so much art, dancing, uh, drums, various types of performance. And he's going to be creating an original piece for our conference. And it's, uh, he is talking with Mark Chitbetty, who's a professional actor. He's from Haskell, and he's a KU grad. He's working with Rick to um, produce this uh, unique soap <coughs> street opera for the conference. In that, uh, saying that, we also want to uh, acknowledge the indigenous uh, stewards that were part of the, this land. We have to acknowledge them as the Kansa, the Osage, the Wichita, the Kaya Apache, the Comanche, the Pawnee, the Cheyenne, and the Arapaho, indigenous peoples that formed this land and were stewards to this land way before we got here. And we have taken, white people have taken so much from the natives, Native Americans. One of the things that they have given us is restorative justice and an understanding of how justice can be done. So in acknowledging them, we hope to continue that acknowledgement through our street opera and through the whole conference that will draw people from uh, Chicago and um, all, all different areas through the region. So any questions for me? Do you have any idea on the attendee numbers that you're looking at? We're hoping about 500. We had expected a in 2020 to draw maybe two, two or three, um, close, closer to 300. But since the conference this past summer was so successful and drew so many people, we're hoping the, to have that. There's some performances uh, and people that we saw in Chicago that we'd like to bring down too. So we would have students from there. A couple of schools, uh, several schools actually in the area, in Wichita and in Kansas City, um, have practices and restorative practice in their schools. So we will be including school students, and that's one of our draws for doing it in June, mm -hmm. is we want to do it at a time between summer school and between. And I understand that Haskell will be starting summer session about that time, so we'll have Haskell students on campus to participate. Thank you. And you're changing it from every other year to every year? It'll be every other year with the national conference in between. I see. And I hope that we are so successful that when, Wichita, when uh, Washburn University says uh, we want to have it in Washburn, everybody says, no, we have to have it at Haskell. If we're going to have it in Kansas, it's going to be at Haskell. Okay. Cool. Any other questions? Thank you so much for Thank hearing you. me today and for putting me a little. Oh, no, I, I apologize for messing up the schedule and then having to resend it out because that just creates confusion. And I apologize. Okay. For the well, I'll get over it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for your time. OK, we'll go ahead and go down to the 310. And that is the Lawrence Old Fashioned Christmas Parade and Marty Kennedy who's on, and you can unmute, Marty. I, I, I muted you while that she was speaking, so if you want to go ahead and unmute again. 
And I know your event's coming up. So even for this year, you're, let's see if we can get you to unmute here. Maybe I should have left you unmuted, sorry. <laughs> I'm not getting it here, Marty. Okay, there you go. Okay. There we go. I'm live now. Yes, you are. Okay. And I know you're getting ready for the this year's parade, right? Uh, so I've been working all morning on signage and a few other things to make sure that that parade comes out very professionally and and we we all meet the expectations of the city of Lawrence. Right. Real uh, quick, can I make sure you got your three bags of chalk for this year? You got them? I, I haven't okay. I haven't been over there to check on that chalk yet, okay. but I will do that here in okay. a little bit, Roger. All right. Thank you. Let me know. Thank you. Um, good afternoon. I am Marty Kennedy, president of the Lawrence Old Fashioned Christmas Parade. The Lawrence Old Fashioned Christmas Parade is one of the most unique parades in the nation. It takes place on the first Saturday in December, promptly at 11, with a flyover from this Al Stuber and his airplanes. It has been recognized by the USA Today newspaper as one of the 10 destinations to kick off the holiday season. Estimates for spectators are 20 to 30,000. Uh, it's a seven mile journey through East Lawrence and down Massachusetts Street and back seven miles altogether and family parties all the way along. And it's, it's, just, it's just great to run it through the neighborhood and they love to have it coming through there. This is our 29th year. It began at, began at the Eldridge Hope as the Eldridge Old Fashioned Christmas Parade is now the Lawrence Old Fashioned Christmas Parade, probably for about the last 20 years. Uh, each year, we are fortunate to receive some funding through the city of Lawrence TGT grant process. We hope we will continue to support us. The parade generates hotel stays during the off-peak tourism season and brings visitors to downtown Lawrence to shop and dine. According to the information from Explore Lawrence, the 2021 parade generated 1.8 million and economic activity from 25,000 visitors. Parade entries directly utilize approximately 100 hotel rooms and anecdotally other hotels sell out on parade weekend. Many Lawrence residents host our out of town guests who visit because they parade and generate economic activity through dining, shopping and transportation. We will be celebrating our 30th parade in 2023 and are making plans to produce the largest and most exciting parade to date. Correspondingly, we appreciate the high level of advertising and marketing spending to attract quality entries and generate excitement to attract travelers to, to Lawrence. On our budget, you will see that we've allowed, allotted almost $18,000 for this, this advertising. And while this parade is a labor of love by many people, the current economic situation means our operational costs are also increasing. We also, we must appreciate the city's past support 
and we hope that we will continue to support this much loved and well attended event. Uh, the Douglas County Fairgrounds is ready for us to bring in roughly 50 wagons and buggies and stagecoaches and some 125 horses for the, the big barn out there that they have that we get to keep their horses inside. And we've been planning hard for this one and we hope we can plan bigger and better for number 30. Thanks for the TGT grant, all of your hard work and we appreciate it with the funding that we could get. Any questions? Marty, do you receive any other funding or is it simply from the TGT funds? Oh no, if you'll look back on the back pages at our budget, uh, our budget shows that we have uh, from uh, just our individual businesses and cash donations, about $20,000, 19,000 for our budget, TGT grants 15,000, and in-kind donations, and this is volunteer work, um, help from Standard Beverage, from Kennedy Glass, from um, Oakleaf oh, Catering, uh, and all of the people that work out at the fairgrounds and help us. We borrow panels from Orchelands and also Tractor Supply, and they donate those to the parade for use that weekend, and then we return them to them and buy any damaged panels that maybe one of the horses would take care of. But yeah, we have we have lots of great friends of the parade that give us money each year so that we can keep keep this thing going. Great, thank you. Other questions? Seeing none. Thank you, Marty. I thank you all for all your work. We'll hope to get your donation. Thank you. Goodbye. All right. Next up is the Paper Plains Zine Fest. All right. I think I saw something. Yeah. This is uh, Jamie, our mascot. Uh, Jamie's going to pass out a little um, zine we made just for the occasion, give you folks an idea of what we what we do here. Just pass those around. <laughs> if anybody wants to get a photo with Jamie, they're available. Um, well, I'm Paul DeGeorge from Wonder Fair. And I'm Megan Williams, one of the co-organizers of Paper Plains Zine Fest and the assistant director of the Emily Taylor Center for Women and Gender Equity up at KU. Um, and so we first wanted to kind of start by explaining what a zine is. Do people know what a zine is? Oh, I see a nod. Do you want to define it for us? Oh, you go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, they're self-published booklets, basically. So what uh, Jamie just passed out to you is an example of a zine. Um, and they uh, can be made out of a single sheet of paper or many uh, pieces of paper bound together using any sort of binding technique. So the one you have right there is a one page that folds out. Mm -hmm. um, and... So zines vary in style, they vary in topic, um, everything from like literary zines to comics, um, all sorts of different topics. 
they um, are independently made for the love of creating, so they rarely make a profit. Uh, much more about, uh, like I said, love the love of the art form. Um, they can be created by one person or in a small group of people, so they can be collaborative. And they're usually photocopied and distributed on a small scale, but that's not always the case. Zines um, are really flexible in terms of format. Um, so zines have historical roots in um, the independent publish, uh, independently published political pamphlet. So like some people will say that Thomas Paine's Common Sense is the first zine. Um, but zine scholars in general really hit on the 1930s and the emergence of a science fiction fandom um, where fans would start writing letters to each other and creating their own stories, much like young folks do today on the web. Um, and then during the um, 60s, a lot of the self-published works coming out of like civil rights movements, feminist movements, those could be considered zines. Uh, and then really when you get into the 1970s, um, you have like pop, uh, pop, the punk rock, sorry, <laughs> punk rock subcultures of the 70s, um, you know, they're saying, oh, the mainstream rock media doesn't speak to us, we're going to make our own media. In the 80s, you have Queercore, which is an alternative um, LGBTQ scene, using zines to, again, um, carve out space for themselves. And then in the 1990s, you have the Riot Girl uh, zine movement. Um, and then, what? Too quick. Can I, can I cut in? Yes. Oh, please. Oh, great. Cool. So <laughs> our event, we had our first event this past uh, September at Van Gogh um, after a few years of planning. Um, and we had originally launched it to coincide with Paper Plains, Paper Plains Literary Fest, um, which uh, happened sort of through the pandemic and then recently closed up shop. But we'll be carrying forward with a self-published mm -hmm. uh literary fest of sorts um and we're hoping to have year two probably sometime end of august early september next year um if you can picture sort of like an art fair that's kind of what a zine fest is like a bunch of tablers selling their own wares and uh in our case, we also have some programming elements that go along with it. So we had uh, about a half dozen programs throughout the day, like Lawrence Public Library did a uh, children's zine program where kids could learn how to make zines. So we collaborated with them. And, and a big part of what we're looking to do um, in our next zine fest is to add to that programming, sort of like separate them one day of programming, one day with sort of like the vendor fair. Um, and so... Um, we're looking for additional funding to help produce that second day of programming, which I think will help make it a little bit more of like an overnight attraction for people having that two day event. Um, and as far as like, you know, I'm, I've been in the zine world for about 20 years myself and through Wonderfair we sell zines and I see the, a huge value in this for like early stage artists being like having a chance to like test out what they do, see what works in like that setting of being able to sell, being able to network with other creators and engage people in that way. And there's just like a huge, I think of it as like very early stage economic development where like this is how people can like get a read on like, is this a, a viable career path for me? And I can't tell you like the feedback we've gotten from year one has just been crazy. Like even, I know it's just like I'm one person, but like we had multiple people apply to work at Wonderfair who were like, I was inspired by Zinefest, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's just like, I think it's a really great event that will, uh, you know, 
have like big long-term rewards for Lawrence uh, culturally for many years to come mm -hmm. if we can keep this going. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Also, teens love it. Yeah. <laughs> all of our all of our volunteers were like high school students. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. So they were the ones helping out, helping us run the show. It was mm -hmm. great. Yeah, and a lot of the like undergrads at KU as well are really interested in it. So, any questions? So, are you seeking other funding? Um, it depends how this goes. You know, <laughs> like uh, there's also the cultural arts um, grant, uh, which I think is. A December deadline. So depending on how this goes for us, we, we would be in the middle. We don't tend to need like too, too much money to pull this off. It's a pretty like budget event and like, you know, we're good at what we do, if, if I may say so myself. <laughs> Other questions? <laughs> Thank you. Any yeah. photos before we go? Yeah. No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you want a selfie or a picture? <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much. Thanks, everybody. Thank Thanks Thank for you. all the time you put into this. <laughs> all right. Uh, next up is the Great Plains Art and Music Fest. That was, I know when I was typing these up. And Tom is online. Hi, Tom. Hi, can you hear me? We can hear you. Thank you. Great. Hello, everyone. Thank you for allowing me to speak today. I wish I could be there in person, but I'm feeling under the weather. Uh, my name is Tom Feiler. I am a video content creator, and I'm an event producer. I'm also a licensed social worker, and I've been a community organizer off and on in Lawrence since 1993. Um, I'm talking today about my event, the Great Plains Art and Music Festival, which was held last year at Sesquicentennial Point, and we hope we'll do it again next year, uh, September 30th of 2023, out at Sesquicentennial Point. Um, essentially, this festival is free from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m., and it features food trucks, artist booths, vendors, merchants, and entertainment like aerial acrobatics, poetry, theater, dance, live music, stuff like that. Uh, after 2 o'clock, the festival turns into a paid event, and it costs between $25 and $50, depending on when you buy your tickets and if you upgrade to the VIP package or not. Um, so the festival is designed to be self-sustaining after we build it for two or three years. Uh, we can cover the costs by selling booth space uh, to food trucks and vendors, uh, ticket sales to the music festival, sponsorship by businesses. Uh, we can you know, sell T-shirts, ice water, stuff like that. Last year, in the first year, we sold uh, over 250 tickets to the music festival. We had 16 food trucks and vendors that paid about 150 to 250 per booth space. We estimate about 1,500 people attended, and we know those people spent quite a bit of money because all the food trucks and vendors were happy, and they said they would do it again if they could. Um, what we really excel at is in advertising and marketing on social media. I think that's what really separates us from everyone else. Our event was clearly marketed throughout the area. Um, we we basically marketed for 300 miles around Lawrence. So Kansas City, Wichita, Topeka, Manhattan, Salina, Hutchinson, Leavenworth, Emporia. We, we basically advertised throughout the whole Great Plains region. That's why it's called the Great Plains Festival, which is Northern Texas, all of Oklahoma, all of Kansas, all of Nebraska, and a little bit of the South of uh, South Dakota. And we also include Missouri in there 
Uh, so like Columbia, Springfield, St. Louis, you know, we go to Des Moines, Iowa. And basically anyone that could drive here within four hours, we marketed to. So we had over 100,000 impressions on social media. Uh, we printed 100, over 100 posters and over 1,000 high-quality cardstock, full-color handbills that were left throughout Topeka, Kansas City, and Lawrence at music stores and things like that. We were on KANU, KLWN multiple times. We estimate 15 to 20% of our people came from out of town requiring travel. Maybe 200 people came in from out of town and booked hotel rooms. We know people were camping at the lake as well and staying in Airbnbs or at friends' houses. Um, but I do know many people got hotel rooms. It was a very busy weekend. We're going to move it to a weekend that wasn't as busy. And, you know, last year we were on, you know, so many other things were happening that day. It was insane, but we still had a very successful, successful event. Um, the idea is to make the Great Plans Art and Music Festival an annual signature festival that the city of Lawrence can be proud of. I almost see it like a regional talent show with Lawrence kind of being the focal point. Uh, the best part about what we do is we have endless content. So if you go to our Facebook page, go to our website, you can see that we post lots of videos, have lots of photos, and we're very artistic. We have lots of photographers, videographers. So we definitely get views and we can spread the love uh, and the talent uh, of Lawrence and the art and the culture and the food. And we can we can spread that really easily throughout the region through our posts. Um, so in the future, we do see this festival growing into being, you know, three to 6,000 people, maybe as many as 10,000 people. The park has its limitations to maybe 3,000 cars if we can continue to do events out at this park. That's pretty much all I have for my three minutes. Open it up for questions. All right, seeing none, thank you, Tom. All right, thank you guys and ladies. Next up is the Lawrence Phoenix Festival. And he was also subject to the change in the schedule. And I apologize. I was, I was. Thank you for the clarification. Um, hi, my name is Gregory Thomas, and I'm here to talk to you about the Lawrence Phoenix Festival. So the Phoenix, it is a symbol of survival of Quantrill's raid that our town adopted. The Lawrence Phoenix Festival aims to annually commemorate the resilience of our city's early settlers by setting ablaze an enormous wooden sculpture of our city's second most iconic bird, the Phoenix. I'm not burning Jayhawks here. <laughs> the sculpture would be constructed and completed at a park well in advance of the festival date. This will allow the public time to come view the site and to contemplate its pending destruction. Much like the city itself, this will be reduced to ashes in a fraction of the time it took to be built. The festival acts as a unique vehicle for cultural education in this regard. <clears throat> the festival, of course, will showcase the creative atmosphere that Lawrence is famous for by featuring local artists, vendors, historical speakers, and presentations, um, and live music, of course, leading up to the grand finale, the burning of the bird. <clears throat> Events of this caliber will undoubtedly draw crowds from far beyond our city limits. It offers a unique cultural experience that will excite attendees of all ages. The cyclical nature of the Phoenix's existence of life, death, and rebirth lends itself very nicely to an annual event. We build it as a community. 
We come together and celebrate. We destroy it. And next year we come back and we build it hopefully better. Um, events of this nature have been wildly successful when implemented in other communities. I myself came from a town, Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, before coming to Lawrence. Uh, it was also, it also has reinvented itself as a town leveraging the arts, a failed steel town that reinvented itself. Um, it wasn't that way when I left. But um, using the Firebird Festival as a model, but what they have done there since 2004, inside of four short years, 10,000 people were coming to this event. It annually draws 20,000 people. Um, I believe that even as a free event with uh, suggested donations and the selling of uh, booth space for vendors, arts and crafts, uh, food trucks, this could be a self-sustaining event inside of a few short years. Um, I met with um, the fire marshal yesterday for about a solid hour about my proposed site. We all believe that um, the intersection at 31st and Louisiana, uh, Broken Arrow Park, provides a good space for our first event. Um, there's the wetlands really close to there. There's a fire substation also present. And I believe it could accommodate the first year's crowd. Um, <clears throat> I think the Phoenix Festival truly meets all the criteria of the events that you're seeking to fund. Um, this would be a first year. Um, I believe that the Phoenix itself, sitting there for those months, acts as our best marketing tool. I would like to install a countdown billboard with the amount of days till the burn. This is sure to generate a major buzz throughout the Kansas City major metro area, and I would be surprised if most of the local television stations would not want to do a piece on this. This is probably our best avenue for getting this advertised. Um, that's all I've got. Open it up for questions. Please. When are you looking for the festival? What's the date? Oh, um, I thought I had mentioned that. You may I, have. I, okay. Um, this time of year. That's what we discussed yesterday with Fire Marshal and I. We'd like to have August 21st is not an ideal date, which is the anniversary. We'd like to have, that would be the date to have the Phoenix sculpture erected. And I've been doing this kind of work, burning enormous sculptures for the past 15 years. Uh, please visit my, uh, my information I gave on the application was only a link to a Facebook community page that I, I just kind of put up recently. You can uh, click a tab there to go to see all of my former work. And everything you need to know about the festival is on that site. Um, we put that together last night. I didn't even know about this grant program until about a week ago. So um, we can pull, pull together. This is what I'm great at. So here, I brought just a couple of cards in case uh, I can pass a couple of those around. Just with my, just like we put up last night. So yes, it's a December event, but we're open to any at all times that it would be the best time of year um, and dates and locations could be worked on. The fire marshal was pretty positive about this being very viable. Mm. December is actually a good time in Lawrence. Yeah, it's I fun. love the Christmas parade. It's yeah. fantastic. Uh, it's a great time of year for people already gathered here um, to go out and do a big giant bonfire the night before with the high school marching band playing. I mean, this is how I envision this festival going. <laughs> Great. Other questions? 
Thank you. Thank you so much for your consideration. Thank you. Appreciate your waiting as well. Okay. Okay, uh, Burton, I, you, the Kansas State USBC Bowling Tournament. Great. <laughs> Good afternoon. Can you guys hear me? You are loud and clear. Thank you. Awesome. Well, first, I just want to thank you all for this opportunity to present in front of you again. I had the honor back in 2017 when I presented the Jayhawk Collegiate Bowling Tournament, which was one of the uh, biggest collegiate bowling tournaments in the state of Kansas that we got to host uh, there in 2018. And this year, Royal Crest Lanes and Lawrence just won the bid for the state tournament for all USBC open play tournament. What that means that every USBC bowler in the state of Kansas is eligible to bowl in this tournament. This is one of the biggest tournaments that all Kansas bowlers look forward to, including myself. As a uh, bowler in Lawrence, uh, I instruct all the bowling classes at KU. I'm the faculty advisor for the KU bowling team as well. And I coached at Free State High for many, many years. It is a joy and passion of mine to see the sport of bowling increase. And it's also a sport that you just don't get to see uh, that often. And it brings in so many more different types of athletes to the, to the sport compared to other sports. As we were looking, if you looked at, if you have some of the information that I sent in, as I filled out the application, this is going to be a six weekend event. Um, in the past, uh, like the last couple of years, this tournament has seen 161 different five player teams, right? That's five individuals per team, 161 teams. We had 485 double teams compete and we've had 970 individuals attempt to win the individual championship. If you're not familiar with bowling, bowling is a sport where uh, it's a two-day event. Always one day you bowl team, the next day you bowl singles and doubles. Uh, this is how bowlers can compete in all events as well. You get a score for you get a score for all three events added together. Um, we haven't really hosted the state open tournament in Lawrence before. Usually, it's hosted at the largest bowling facility, which is in found in Wichita. Um, and this brings up a great opportunity for Lawrence and Royal Crest Lanes as a host location because uh, recently in this last year, ownership has changed in Wichita for the bowling facilities down there. And they are not interested in larger tournaments because of the time and work that it takes to host. However, Royal Crest, the owners, Larry and Larry Burton and Jesse Bauer, they're both very interested in hosting as this will just bring a lot of uh, attention to our city brings in a lot of hotel rooms. Uh, just to give you an idea, I have a event impact summary from Explorer Lawrence from the Jayhawk Collegiate Bowling Tournament that I hosted again in 2018. Uh, according to the sheet, it says that we had 80 overnight attendees and we had a direct business sale impact of $27,276. For my estimate for this tournament, because it's six weekends and not just one weekend, like the Jayhawk Collegiate Challenge was. I times that by six, and that's where I got my $150,000 business impact that I had on my budget proposal. Uh, again, this is a great opportunity for 
us to host, uh, we can show the state of Kansas that Lawrence is the best hosting location for this tournament for years to come. Because of the, again, the business ownership change in Wichita, uh, there is a high uh, opportunity of this returning to Lawrence year after year. Um, but we need to do our job and present and showcase Lawrence and showcase the facility the best that we can. And that is going to be possible with uh, the sponsorship uh, from the grant uh, from all of you, um, but also from just the work and the marketing uh, that's going to take place through Royal Crest Lanes and through the USBC Kansas Bowling Association. Uh, the tournament is locked in. It's The dates have been posted, um, but now it's time to, to market and show off Lawrence and Royal Crest Lanes. And what are the dates that are locked in? They are March 25th and 26th, April 1st and 2nd, April 15th and 16th, April 22nd and 23rd, April 29th and 30th, May 6th and 7th. And so these are great months. We chose these months outside of the popular months of, you know, college basketball and college football. Um, and we hope that that would bring good timing for more, you know, more people to visit Lawrence. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Other questions? Thank you very much. Thank you so much for this opportunity and consideration. Okay, the next presentation is from the Lawrence Art Guild for Art in the Park. Hello. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I must have missed the second memo. It came out on Sunday, and okay. I apologize. That's okay. I thought I had missed the whole thing, so I'm glad I wasn't late. Um, I'm going to start with, uh, my name is Maria Martin, and I'm the president of the Lawrence Art Guild. The Lawrence Art Guild is the sponsor of the annual Art in the Park event. Um, the little, Just a short history, because we are 60 years old, I can't go into the depth of history, but in 1962, the guild was formed by a um, member of the community, Joyce Shields, who, her with her other artist enthusiast, wanted an organization or something where people could showcase their artwork. So she got these people together and they started an art show. And it started the first two years, took place in the community building. And one of the artists in the group said that before she died, she wanted to be hung in South Park. <laughs> Not a good statement to make, but um, so they moved it to South Park, which is where it's been now for 58 years. And uh, it hasn't changed as far as the organization's mission. And while saying that, it has changed a lot in the last five years. It's just grown. Um, there are... Um, it became, in 1990, it became a 501c3. So as a nonprofit, it uh, continues on. Typically, our assets 
um, include enough funds to operate the event and the, get the organization going into the next year, surplus is donated in a number of ways back into the community. And a lot of that is through um, the gifting program for our high school students, the art teachers and the art classes that service Douglas County students. So these are even uh, high schools in different communities or counties outside of Douglas County. And of new that in past year and into next year, we're doing things with other groups of youth, um, engaging children, the children who are at risk, and um, kind of like uh, it's through art, being able to identify with themselves, feel good about themselves. And this is a something a couple of our members have started with the O'Connell Children's uh, Shelter, and we hope to continue on and move that on to with Van Gogh. Um, we are initiating a um, speaker series that deals with art and mental health, and the first one will take place in uh, May of 2023. Excuse me. So back to art in the park. Um, the Guild continues today as a volunteer organization. Financial support comes from the membership dues, the member artist event registration fees, the and um, the sales commission that the artists get off of artwork that they sell during these events. There's a 10% commission that they give back to the guild, and this is how we generate our funds. We have been recipients of this grant uh, twice, and each time it's propelled us even further to do what we need to do to keep it uh, viable. It, the, it is not going anywhere. It has sustained itself as a regular significant event uh, in the community. It has taken the Lawrence Best of Show Award for nonprofit this year, plus um, I think two other years before. It is, um, but given that our um, funding is always needed because we've grown from one day event in the past two years, we've had two-day events, and this is in keeping with a lot of other art events that go on around the country. Artists go to these, they go for two days, and it, it's easier for them, but it also helps promote them and their artwork. Also does wonderful things for their, the communities they visit. Um, the economic benefit by creating this as a more as an overnight event is in... Um, the transient guest tax relies on heads on beds sort of concept, and it does this. Um, this past year, we had about 20 artists who, 20 people who needed accommodations, and based on just what the, uh, probably the lowest rate of $145, and I know some of them paid more than that for a night because of events that go on in town, it probably generated about $9,000 for the, that hospitality, in sales tax as well, it helped do that, but it also increased and helped local businesses up and down Mass Street and in the community because of all these people who were in town. Um, and the sales tax information is given to us by the state of Kansas, and that's always put in the packets for the artist. Um, based on the 10%, the money, and this is just 10% of what they took, the artist took in, it probably generated um, at that low end, $150,000 of art sales took place in that two-day period, which provides assistance for the artist. It's good income. They then have 
money that they could then reinvest. The sales tax on that alone uh, is, is great. Um, other financial funding um, that we will have for this year, the National Endowment for the Arts through the COVID Relief Fund had a grant program and the Guild applied for that for uh, a few specific things that we were looking to help with. And one of them is rental. We do not have a rent, we do not have a building, so we rent office space. And um, this is going to help with that as well as help uh, support a, um, a little stipend for our art in the park coordinator. It has become a full, with two-day event, it's become a full-time job, almost tripling, not doubling, um, what has to go on there. Um, so that will, be, that will be wonderful. And if this grant comes through, um, when we did this up, it is for marketing as well. And the two other things we're added were graphic designer and website developer, and I know I'm probably over my three minutes. Uh, the marketing, um, for the marketing and the graphic designer and the website developer, the guild in the funds remaining, can, some of that can be generated to also assist with that. So it's like a 50-50 match. So it's, But the marketing is what's really important because we noticed with the first year we did well with the art, people coming. This past year, we upped everything we did as far as marketing the event and reaching out into a wider range of people. Kent City has a, 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 a magazine and a group that just promotes widely, and we got involved with that. And as far as all the social media we did, which is, you know, has a cost onto it, and that helped promote things. And we want to increase that and continue. We have. The artists that came from the 20 different states loved coming to Lawrence. They repeated from the first year to the second. Some of them already have signed up for yet another year of making this trip uh, here. Um, and uh, and the, it, an organization like this, as it starts to grow, relies on a lot of people for help. But we really need to seek uh, professionals as far as getting graphic design work done and a real viable working website that could only increase what happens in Lawrence as far as that goes. Um, I think maybe I have gotten through all this other than one of the things um, I know you, that was asked is about funding and how we do get our funding. Um, the Guild, when it began, is a volunteer organization and it has remained that the volunteer hours that go into doing this is just, it's almost overwhelming if you had to think about it, like one person and what they did. The board, the officers, it's all volunteer. We all love to jump in and do this. And, um, and so do the people that come out and just support us by sitting at the tables and, you know, helping the artists during that day, helping them empty their cars and load up again. So without that, I don't know how organizations can do this, but the hours that are put into that is kind of meets and writes off. It was something you'd have to pay. You couldn't have, you couldn't be able to do something like this. So Anyway, if you have any questions, I'd be happy to answer. Okay. All right. All Thank right. You. Thank you for your time. Thank Appreciate you. your time. All right. And I will ask one last time. We haven't gotten anybody coming in for the three uh, Prep Girls Hoop Wheat State Slam, the Prep Girls Hoop Dynasty Regional Finals. 
the Prep Girl Hoop Jayhawk Camp. So I've not heard back from them. So I, and their presentations are up on the website, so we can look at them anyway, right? Correct. Yes. Yes. And I did send you links to the to to get access to all of the uh, the the applications okay. and their supplemental um, information that they had along with that. And I was going to show you on the website. It's actually on the TGT page, and that's lawrencekss.org/cmo. TGT grants, if you slide down here to the section that it says this meeting here, uh, we can click here and it'll take you to the grants. So they're all listed right there. Mm -hmm. Okay. And those are in alphabetical order as well. So uh, I think they were anyway. It looks like they Did we see the Midwest Pre National Volleyball? I got confused. Yes. Yeah. 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 He was the one that. Which right after I had the, the let's see the yeah, when he he stepped up right after the Special Olympics, and then I called for the person they weren't there, okay, and that was the next one. So right. yeah, it gets Thanks. confusing with all the sports, but yes, he was the gentleman that had the. Okay, um, again, I'll go back to that schedule that we have uh, for the remainder of the time here. Uh, I need the scorings from the board by 5 p.m. Tuesday, December 6th. You can send them to me or drop them off in my office at South Park. And then we'll have the meeting of the board on Friday from 1 to 3. And the Zoom, all that stuff, if you're wanting to be here by Zoom or in person, I know that this board is really, I love that everybody's here. I mean, I'm on a... I am the liaison for the Parks and Recreation Board. A lot of them are still virtual, so I appreciate that folks are here in the room because it makes technology gets a little bit in the way sometimes, as we've seen um, as well. But uh, you can sign up for the Zoom meeting on here as well. I've already got that set up um, right here, actually, on December 9th. Okay, so that's already there if you need to use that. And, and I understand schedules and places, and you know, we want to make sure that we're accommodating to everybody. Not meaning that you have to be in person. I just love seeing people in, in person. So I appreciate your time again as a board. Uh, I know this is not going to be easy for you to discriminate between these and, and really evaluate and weight those. But I think the score sheet does help with that. And once we put it all together, we should be able to come to some conclusions at the next meeting. And I, I think we'll have a nice hearty discussion as well. Mm -hmm. So I thank you for your time today and make it a great day. You too. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you.